Hello there. Julian Richings here. You're listening to Don't Go Out There. Enjoy. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. My man Brian has done a fantastic job with the website. He's got it looking great. Everything about our podcast is on there. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one to our weekly release. If you want to check out all of our episodes there. Maybe you have an office job, don't have access to your phone. You can listen on your desktop computer. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with some of the biggest names in horror. Uh, some of your favorite slashers, uh, writers, directors. Check out our interviews if you haven't heard those yet. We got our store. We, we got some new t-shirts. Uh, Brian and Dustin have done some fantastic designs if you want to check those out. And we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. And we also have our social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, We love interacting with our fans. We love, you know, meeting new people. We love answering your comments and questions on the air. So definitely check us out on social media. And the last thing I want to shout out is our Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. You're a big fan of our podcast, a big fan of our show. You want to help support us. That option is available. And we also have one-time donations if you want to donate and, you know, have a, if you have a film review you want us to do, that option is available as well. All right, guys, jumping to the film review. We're going to be concluding Dustin's Feel My Pain. I had to see it, so you had to see it month. And uh, this is the reason why he even picked the damn theme. So, brother, why don't you tell us why you picked this one? Yeah. Because you hate this. Uh, <laughs> I said it, uh, you know, a few times this month. But I went. I had Regal Unlimited, so I was going to see basically every movie that released in the theaters when it came out. And I saw... Uh, Bo is afraid. I saw, you know, there was a 24. I was like, yeah, let's go check it out. I know it's Ari Aster. I know it's going to be a little bit out there, but I got three hours to kill. Let's just go do it. And then I sat through the movie and I sat in my chair for several minutes after the end credit started rolling. And I was like, what the fuck was that? That's when I walked out of the theater. That was the first thing I said was what the fuck was that? And so I knew that you guys would never watch this. If I just said, Hey, you guys got to watch this movie. You'd all say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll watch it, and then never do it. Actually, Brian wouldn't. He'd be up front. He would say, fuck A24, I'm not doing it. So I would watch it. <laughs> yeah, you would have, but I don't know that you would have necessarily prioritized it because of how bizarre I made it sound. Um, how yeah. long? Because I, I think when I sent you guys a text, I said, if we ever review this movie, my prediction for the score was, and I, I don't remember, I, guess, I said you said it was something low, but I said Brian would be like a negative 17 or something like that. But <laughs> Brother, if you had told me there was a giant dick in it, I would have watched it. Oh, my bad. <laughs> that is true. So I uh, that that made me think of, you know, this theme. We take turns t- picking themes for months. So I was like, you know, we got to roll in the group chat. If someone sees something disturbing or disgusting, we share it. Because if I had to see it, you have to see it. So, yeah, feel my pain. Watch this movie with me, fuckers. All right. I'll go with my opening thoughts now. Uh, it's a bizarre movie. There's nothing else that I've seen like it. And I like that. Uh, I think everyone who listens to this show and all the co-hosts know that I'm the biggest a 24 fan. This definitely is my least favorite of Ari Aster's films, but I still think it's, it's interesting. 
It's really well made, well acted, makes you think, and I appreciate that. But it's got a lot of symbolism, metaphors, blah, blah, blah. But it really has my brain hurting trying to figure it all out, which can be a bad thing. But I do like to like we like junk food movies, but we also I also like movies that make me think and make me feel things. And I like this movie for what it is. It's not one that I'm going to pop in anytime soon. I will watch it again in the future just because, you know, on subsequent rewatches, you do pick up on other things. And, you know, read like when we did the platform, I like reading through people's comments you know, how they interpret things. And I enjoyed it for what it is. And Brian looks like he's ready to kill me. So, yeah. so I look at Brian going to go next. Just the look on Brian's face is great. Typical A24 fan. Yeah. Look, I was speechless first time I watched this. And I I've, I've know that I've gotten a bit of a reputation for being an A24 hater. And while, yes, the very heavy majority <laughs> we've done on this show, I have not liked, I do give each of them a fighting chance. But after watching this three-hour A24 mind fuck fest, I've come to the conclusion that I really do think that the A24 meetings to approve movies that they make literally last 35 seconds. It's got to be. I don't think they gave a shit about the script or literally anything. They probably just asked, does it make sense? No? Oh, okay, good. Is it weird as fuck? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Uh, I don't have to have anything that makes sense or substance. No, not at all. We can just call it elevated horror. We can just call it elevated horror, and then people will just act like it makes sense so they can feel better about themselves. I'm convinced that's how it has to go. It has Damn. to Because once again, I'm saying, in summary of an A24 movie, what the fuck did I just watch? And I think that accomplishes what Dustin was set out to do there. I feel yeah. like I'm a broken record because I've got to say, it is engaging. I agree. I mean, I was curious the whole time thinking, okay, how is this going to pay off? At the end, they'll bring it all together, and it'll make sense. And shocker, they don't. (laughs) But it's not even like Ari's other movies, you know, I'm not a fan of. This is just like, it's just like, what the fuck, man? Look, I I know this movie is up for interpretation, and, you know, therefore I think that you're seeing this whole entire world from the point of a schizophrenic or neurotic disorder or whatever he has. And it's just, wow, like, it's 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 fuck it's everywhere, you know, and it has a conclusion that not only to me makes it worse, it makes even less sense, you know. And then you have that coupled with a ridiculously long, too long three hour runtime. It's more than just like a non pleasurable viewing experience for me. To me, it's a waste of three hours of my life. <laughs> All I think you can really say about this movie is how it makes you feel and how obviously that you interpret things. And for me, I hate it. Well, before you go, Mike, since since this is the last uh, last movie of the theme, I'll just go ahead and reveal something. This theme is actually not film my pain. This film, this theme for this month is just basically middle finger Brian. That's actually what I wanted it, to call it. I, I completely <laughs> that I gathered that as soon as everybody picked the movies. Oh, geez. Okay. Look. <laughs> surprise! Surprise! Mike is somewhere in the middle here. <laughs> uh, because I actually think there's a lot to like about this movie. This, this movie's fucking wild, man. This is one of the... I'm not even going to say one of. This is the weirdest film I've ever seen. This is this is a crazy fucking movie from the mind of Ari Aster. And I thought I had seen the craziest parts of Ari Aster's mind. Nay, nay. On that. Because this movie is the craziest shit I've seen. Um, I will say, it is my least favorite of the Ari Aster movies that we've done. Just because I don't think it ties 
like Brian mentioned, it doesn't tie together by the end. Like hereditary, by the end, it makes sense. Midsummer, as weird as it fucking gets, by the end of the film, it, it makes sense. I still don't know. There's still parts of this film. I still don't know what the fuck has happened. I don't know what's going on. What's real? What's not real? And I'm yelling. That's my typical talking voice. Get the fuck over it. But I look, it's well acted. I think Joaquin Phoenix is fucking awesome. Honestly, I think everyone involved is awesome. Uh, you know, Nathan Lane is good. Like, there's some really good acting in here. Uh, the movie is well made. Uh, no, you know, no surprise. A24 does a great job with that, with those kinds of things. And like Nico touched on, I like the fact that it makes me think, makes me feel, um, touches on some, you know, the, you know, deeper emotional stuff, thematic elements, fear, guilt, all that other, you know, all the other stuff that we're going to get into. But this is the first time that I've not been able to tie it all together and have it make sense for me. It feels like just a really long, way too long pause, way too long of just like Ari Aster's drug trip. Like I can't get past the fact that I half the movie, I don't know what's happening. So maybe it's too far or well, too far. Maybe it's too smart for me because I was about to say, I'm not going to sniff my own farts like some of these people that think they got it all figured out when the movie is open-ended and left to interpretation. But I do think, I said it in the group chat earlier, I am glad there there's a space for this film to exist. There's a studio that will let filmmakers make this kind of movie because I think that's important. And I, I will never hate on someone else's art. I just don't fucking know what happened in this movie, man. Like, I don't understand the film, but I, I'm engaged, I'm intrigued, uh, and I still think it's well made. So, overall, as usual, Mike is somewhere in the goddamn middle. Middle Mike, what's up? See, that should be replaced. See, that should replace Money Mike, because I'm broke, and so we need to get on the Middle Mike thing. There we go. Middle Money Mike. God damn it. Mileage Mike, at least. <laughs> Figure it out. Middle Mileage Money Mike. Fuck you, man. <laughs> All right, yes. guys. Jump into the scene by scene. Brother Dustin graciously decided to do the scene by scene because he knew this would be one of the most impossible movies to take notes on for scene breakdown. Selfish bastard. Uh, go ahead, brother, with the scene by scene. <laughs> That's exactly. That's exactly why I did it. I know when I volunteered, you're like, "Yeah, go for it. Go ahead." But then once you started trying to take notes, you were probably like, "That motherfucker." <laughs> yeah, this movie nope. was difficult to take notes on. All right. Well, it's a long movie, so I'm going to be reading a lot. Bear with me. The movie opens with an ominous score. Honestly, it's the most horror-feeling thing about the whole movie to me. We hear a muffled sound of a woman in distress. We get flashes of light and sounds of the woman screaming. We see a slit opening, and yep, we're in a vagina. It's childbirth from the baby's perspective. We hear the woman say the baby hit the ground and asks, is the baby crying? Is he dead? We hear a man trying to console her and see a manual resuscitator being used before we see a baby's ass being smacked hear the baby cry and get our title card Bo is afraid next we see a gray-haired man walk into a doctor's office and sit down it's Bo. he's silent until he says he accidentally drank mouthwash recently the man tells him it should be fine a cell phone rings and they both look at it until it stops ringing it's Bo's mom calling Bo says he's going to see his mom tomorrow on the anniversary of his father's death he has a voicemail and tries to avoid answering the question about how he feels about going home. It's been several months since he's been home. The doctor asks if he feels guilty about that and gets no response. He writes guilty on his notepad. The doctor asks if Bo wishes his mother was dead. 
Bo is perplexed and says, of course not. The doctor asks how the medicine is working, and Bo groans, so he gets a prescription for a new medicine. Always with water. Outside, Bo listens to the voicemail from his mom. She's excited to see him. He stops at a trinket vendor stand, and as he asks to see one, he notices a crowd looking up at a building where a man is being encouraged to jump. Cut to nighttime, and we see a corpse lying in the middle of the street, and a taxi just drives around it. This is a wild-ass town. We see a crack whore leading a man by the hand down the street and a cop walking barefooted. It's a bustling cesspool. More vagabonds wander about, and we see a very tatted-up guy focus on a man running towards him. Turns out it's Bo. He hauls ass inside a building and locks the tattooed antagonist outside. The inside of this building is riddled with graffiti, and it's not the kind of place I'd choose to lay my head, but it's Bo's apartment building. There's a warning sign on the door of a dangerous spider, which he we see later is crawling across his uh, apartment floor. Bo's freezer is full of frozen dinners. After enjoying one, he sits on the bed a while and watches some TV. The news shows the story of a birthday boy stab man who has claimed more victims. The news says to hell with the FCC. We're not blurring his wiener. Look at it. Bo writes on the bottom of the knickknack that he bought for his mom. Dear mom, I'm sorry this is the anniversary of dad's death. Thank you. I'm sorry. Love, Bo. Some real Shakespearean shit there. When his pen stops working, he reaches in his nightstand drawer to grab another one and sees some Polaroids from a cruise. He gets lost in the moment, and we hear ocean sounds. 11.42 now, and Bo is turning in for the night. We hear the noises from his neighborhood, and at 1.05 a.m., we hear a knock at the door. He gets up to see a note being pushed under his door. Hello, could you please lower the volume of your music? 2.43 a.m. And another note, please, people are being deprived of precious sleeping hours. 3.19 a.m., and there's now banging on his walls. Please help, please. The banging and yelling stops and turns to footsteps leading to Bo's door. Another note, this one slid all the way to his bed, reads, I ask you to turn it down and you turn it up? He's confused. There hasn't been music playing at all. The neighbor says, how about this? And starts blasting dance music. Bo covers his ears and goes back to sleep. He finally wakes back up, and it's daylight now. His alarm has been going off, but he didn't hear it because of the loud music. It's 3.53 p.m. His flight leaves at 5.25. He panics. He scrambles to get ready to leave and grabs his bag, his gift for his mom, and his ticket. He runs back inside because he forgot his floss. I think that's what he grabbed. But when he gets back to his door, his luggage is gone, and his keys are missing from his front door. He asks the maintenance guy, but his response is, you're fucked, and keeps walking. Bo calls his landlord to tell her he needs a locksmith, but gets hung up on. Bo calls his mom now and tells her the bad news. It's a truly deranged way that he says it, too. She panics because his flight's in an hour. After a long silence, she says she understands. She says, we'll just do the visit another time. She thinks it's an excuse. I don't know how this man manages to live on his own, honestly. He asks his mommy what to do now. She says she's sure he'll do the right thing. He doesn't know, and she's got to go. She's very clearly devastated. We hear gunshots outside and screams. Bo nervously looks at the front door. He has a vision of a man kicking in his door, so he slides the couch in front of it and takes some medicine. But his water's not working in his apartment. This causes more panic from him. He tries to make himself throw up, but to no avail. He sees water at the store across the street out his window, but also sees a man gouging another man's eyes out in the path. He hears the doctor's words echoing in his head, always with water. He Googles what will happen if he takes it without water and decides to head out. That's the first scene, guys. What do you think? Look, right off the bat, I'll preface this by saying that if you listened to last week's Human Centipede review, I made sure to say that I thought that it was shot terribly. 
So I definitely do not say this about every movie, but like Astor's other movies, this one is shot beautifully. I mean, there are some amazing shots in this throughout. Um, I'm 90, I'm sure 99% of it is Astro, but I wanted to shout out Paul Pogorzelski, the cinematographer on this one as well, who actually has been with Ari throughout all of his three movies so far. So that makes sense. But there are some goddamn beautiful shots in this movie. There's no question about that. And I'll probably repeat this throughout, but I'm definitely intrigued by this open. Um, it's laying, you know, and giving you some pieces of the, the story here. But also you're looking at all of these like super extreme things after the therapist session. So this is where you start thinking like, okay, is this that trope of the unreliable narrator? Like how much of this as I like to think is seeing it through the point of view of Bo. So I feel like enormous personally, I feel like enormous chunks of this are, are hallucinations. And is that right? Are they? I don't fucking know and I don't pretend to, but that's how I have to play the story out in my head for it to make any sort of logical sense to me personally. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, I've read online that people think that the medicine is the reason the movie is the way that it is. But I personally don't tend to agree with that just because like if this, if taking this medicine made Bo so incredibly different than the way he lives his everyday life or sees the world every single day, wouldn't he immediately stop taking it? Uh, because I mean, like he's walking through the city before this medicine has even had a chance to kick in and it's crazy outside. So in my opinion, I don't really go with that, but you know, it is what it is. And you can definitely see how Bo has this idea of a mother just by the way that he sees moms interacting with her kids in the city. I mean, they're always just mean as hell and demasculating, which is another word that I'll say about three or four more times throughout. But the mother thing is definitely something that also plays out throughout this entire three hour mind fuck. I mean, he's very obviously scared to death of the world as we find out, you know, obviously later we find out later why, but I'm intrigued for sure after this set of scenes. And, you know, that's a feeling that doesn't leave me the first time I watch this until the end of the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, look, it has me intrigued as well. I would say this is a unique open, you know, not very many movies open from a birth through the baby's perspective, but then I remember look who's talking and look who's talking to. So uh, it's, it's, it's not totally unique, at least. This is a little bit different for sure. But uh, no, I, I think it's a very creative open. You know, it's dark, you know, just a little bit of light let in. So it's even more like, it's a little more graphic, obviously, if you use your imagination. Um, but yeah, I mean, I will say just right off the bat, the first visual you get of Joaquin Phoenix, he just does, a great job of being a method actor, man. Like just really dives into those characters that he plays. He, he became Johnny cash. He became the Joker. He became Napoleon. And he like, this doesn't hardly even look like Joaquin Phoenix to me. So different from another, from other movies I've seen him in recently. He just does a great job of becoming this bow character that we get to know along the way, or at least I think we do. Uh, you know, the therapist points out about the water in the well again, Obviously, water is a thematic plot point throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, there's something going on with water. I haven't quite figured it out, but water is definitely a big part of this film multiple times, which I found pretty interesting. I just can't quite pinpoint exactly what its point is, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> look, there's definitely a point being made here by filming a suicide jumper. Uh, I honestly think that's part of the point of the whole film, how we're all kind of like stuck to our phones. Like there's some thematic elements there too. 
Uh, but first of all, let's get down to the nitty gritty here. I am not letting my neighbor make that much fucking noise. I'm opening the door. I'm walking over and I'm beating a motherfucker's ass. However, like Brian said, not hallucinations, but I do think Bo's sensibilities are warped. So I think everything is heightened. Like there may yeah. be a minor inconvenience to, to the, a normal person, but because of his lack of critical thinking skills, for lack of a better term, you know, because of all the way he was raised, I think he's always uh, – Bo is afraid, literally. He's afraid. And so I think that sense is heightened. And because of that, every minor thing feels like a giant thing. Like that neighbor probably barely had his music up, but he heard it like it was on, you know, me talking on a regular day, which is very, very loud. So, like, I understand that. And, and I think that's the way I view – every interaction as we go forward. I think I finally at least got that part down where it's like not hallucinating, but his, his, his worldview is just so from a, like I view it like current a cowardly dog. Like it really is a human version of that, of that show in my opinion, where this is a normal thing, but current a cowardly dog sees it through this, like, you know, scared perspective. And I think that's the way that Bo views the world. Like even going to, you know, Going to buy a water at the convenience store, it looked like he was about to set foot into a zombie apocalypse. Like, I don't think that's a hallucination. I think that's just his his heightened sense of fear. Um, but yeah, man. I, anyway, you know, one thing that really pissed me off about Bo as a character is he went back for some dental floss. You know that he was going to be late for his flight, and he he was out the door and then went back for some dental. floss. No, man, goodbye dental floss when you get there. Get your ass out the door. But anyway. Um, I will say, because the while watching it, you don't know in the beginning what the relationship with his mom is yet. So this is a really emotional scene when he's on the phone with his mom. Like you're almost kind of mad at Bo and want him to, you know, uh, to use uh, Nico's favorite meme, be a man. <laughs> like, hey, man, fuck all that. Figure it out. Go see your mom. Things do play out in a little bit of a different way. But at least, the you know, you're watching through and taking notes. You're like, man, what is your problem here? Last thing I really have is living in a giant city feels like a fucking nightmare, man. No, thank you. I want to live nowhere near a giant metropolitan area. And I, uh, again, Bo is more, you know, I'm sure the city's bad, but the volume is turned up because of the way Bo sees everything. So it's a little bit even worse than it would normally be, but still, no thank you on all that. Also, I can't dry take any medicine. Not at, not at all. Like, I can't dry swallow Tylenol, none of that shit. Give me some water. I wouldn't even attempt it. Same. That was the most psychotic thing he did Same. all movie. I agree. I'm like, brother, <laughs> you, you get the water first, then you yeah. take the pill. Come on, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Our fun fact to start this off, Bo is Afraid was meant to be Ari Aster's directorial debut. I got to say it was a good call going with Hereditary and Miss Samar first. This movie being your debut may have tanked him. He may have never got the opportunity to make those other two films. You know, Mike's going to talk, talk about the budget, but this movie lost a lot of money. Uh, I don't want that to come across badly because I do think Ari Aster is, you know, a, a good director, but this would not have been a good first choice. Uh, disclaimer, like I mentioned earlier, this movie was incredibly hard to take notes on. I ask a lot of questions, so bear with me. But I thought the birth scene right into the therapist's office was quite the transition. We started off with the baby being born. That was Great, great choice, Dustin. Joaquin has a great presence on screen. The facial acting when his phone rings was great. 
He also portrays an anxiety-ridden man impeccably. A medicine is that dangerous without water. I don't buy it. You know, that may be nitpicky, but oh well. Write a bad Apple review. I don't care anymore. It's crazy how casual and insensitive Buddy acts watching a man wanting to leap to his death from the building. What the hell is going on with these people in this world now? But like Mike and others have mentioned, it's touching on, you know, social media and how it's like warped our minds where we just kind of embrace this stuff now. I couldn't imagine living in such a dump of an area that I have to sprint to my building's door so I can lock out the crazy folks. And there's a brown recluse infestation. Christ almighty, my biggest fears in life. This has to be one of the oddest moods of a movie we've ever reviewed, right? This uplifting, harmonious music, news reporters speaking of the naked, circumcised white killer, Bo's odd message he scribbles apologizing and thanking his mom for his dad's death. I don't know what to feel right now. (laughs) Bo has a whole parade of noise going on, but his alarm is what wakes him up. I know that's a nitpick, but I was like, all right, let's be for real here. Uh, after a couple of rewatches, I really wonder if his keys and luggage were stolen or if this is just something going on in his mind to delay him visiting his mother, who he obviously has trauma with. Joaquin, with more great facial acting, talking to his mother, I thought the on-the-phone scene with her was great. Bo, why would you take, like Mike mentioned, why would you take the medicine without already having some water readily available? Your therapist specifically said, with water. And I just, you know, I'm done now, but it was just it's an interesting opening, and I'm really curious where the movie goes next. Mike, just right. one more thing. Like you mentioned that he needed to be a man, but like I said, like I think that that goes back to that demasculization that he went oh, through as a sure. kid mm-hmm. at his mom's side. And I mean, I know you were talking touching on the the hallucination thing. I just just to be clear, I don't think that he hallucinated everything. Just yeah. my, I think it's a mixture. I think that there's sure. a lot of there's absolutely a lot of extreme things going you know he's taking things to the extreme but right i do think that he's at least some of it but i mean who and, knows honestly and i i think we're saying the same thing to be honest like i think you know just i i just don't know if i'd use that word but i mean we're really saying the same thing though i mean he he's seeing it through his perspective and he's so again afraid that he's see it's he, he's blowing it up in his mind like this thing that's happening isn't as big of a deal as it probably is to a, a normal ish person, but it's in his mind, it's a big fucking deal. And, uh, you know, last thing, the be a man thing is I wrote it down, but that was before I finished the film. Like now I understand very demasculated or emasculated throughout the entire film. So no doubt about that. Plus his mom sucks. So there you go. I agree with what you're saying though. Cause like, think about when you hear about, Oh, I would, walk on the other side of the street if that guy was walking towards me. Like, that's how I view the guy with the tattoos. That guy probably yeah. wasn't running towards him. He probably saw right. him down the street and took off running in his mind. Oh, my God, he's after me. So, exactly. Yeah, that's, how right. I, that's how I took exactly. it as well. Also, Bo's mom is hot. Call me sometime. Anyway. We haven't even seen her yet. Okay. Um, Bo timidly exits the elevator and grabs a thick phone book by his building's front door to hold it open. There's a dude zonked out of his mind hovering around on the outside when Bo nails him with the door when he slams it open. Bo runs into the bodega and chugs some water. His card declines. As the man tries again, Bo sees strangers entering his apartment building across the street. Bo tries to scrounge up some change to pay for the water, and we see dozens of vagrants enter his building. He runs out, and right as he gets to the door, someone pulls the phone book doorstop, and he's locked out. He tries calling his landlord, but no dice. He sees his apartment light come on from the street and looks around for some help. Instead, he stands still until it's dark now. He climbs up some scaffolding outside his apartment and sees a real rager taking place inside. 
his tattooed nemesis is rifling through his kitchen cabinets. He sits helplessly on the outside and eventually falls asleep. He's awakened by a construction worker using a drill. It's daytime now, and his apartment is empty. The glass front door in his building is shattered, and he walks right through it. Scared to get off the elevator, he scopes the scene first and sees the tattooed bad guy sprawled out on the floor at his doorstep. He cautiously approaches, and we see the man has a nasty gash in his neck, and he's holding Bo's phone with the 9 and 1 dialed, one digit short. He almost made it. Bo's home is more wrecked than Jaden Will's, but at least it's empty. He thinks. He runs and... He runs and closes the front door and starts cleaning. There's a shoe lodged in his computer monitor, but he's determined to rebook his flight. But his car declines yet again. He calls his mom to tell her, but a man answers. It's a UPS driver who tells him the police are on their way. He asks Bo to describe his mom and tells Bo there's a woman on the floor, but no head or face. Bo is confused. The chandelier fell on a woman. The UPS driver doesn't know if it's Bo's mom or not. Maybe Bo dialed the wrong number? He hangs up and calls back. It's the same guy. He tells Bo he's sorry. Bo is in shock. The driver checks the woman's purse for ID and asks Bo if Mona Wasserman is his mom. Bo gasps and drops the phone. He's been standing still long enough that his bathtub is now flooding into the living room. Reminded me of that meme. Blood froze. He hasn't moved in 40 minutes. He finally goes into the bathroom to turn off the water, and the little trinket that he bought for his mom is on the floor by the tub. He decides to take a bath and pause. My man's nuts are outrageously large. Pause, pause, pause. He's like Randy Marsh when he intentionally got ball cancer to get medical, medical marijuana. His doctor doesn't answer the phone, and while he stares at a picture of his mom, water starts dripping from above. He looks up, and the dripping is sweat from a man who is hanging on for dear life, hovering above the, the pool of water below him. He's slipping, and Bo is frozen in terror. The dangerous spider from before crawls on the man's face, and he falls on Bo in the tub. The two struggle for a while, and Bo finally runs away in terror, butt-ass naked. We see the naked stab man outside who has claimed another victim and Bo runs to a cop for help. The cop pulls his gun and tells Bo to drop his weapon, a.k.a. the gift for his mom. Bo drops it and it breaks. The cop keeps telling him to freeze despite Bo standing still with his hands up and says, please don't make me do this. Bo is justifiably scared now and runs away from the cop down the street. Amid the calamity, an RV plows into Bo and sends him flying. Go ahead, guys. Okay, weirdly, actually, you know what? I don't know why I had to preface that with weirdly because this whole fucking movie is weird. But this is actually my favorite group of scenes. I say that because at this point, I mean, I'm still very intrigued and interested and on the edge of my seat and trying to figure out what the hell's going on at this point. And there's just so much going on here so quickly. Uh, I will preface this by saying I think because, again, all up for interpretation. But here is really where it shows to me the chaos of the real world to Bo because earlier he just kind of ignored it as normal reality to him when he was walking down the street. But here Phoenix just shows like how petrified he is as he thinks like he has to go get some water or else he's going to die all because of what the therapist said. And like we were talking about just a second ago, I mean, just those little things that we would blow off, but Bo and his, I mean, I don't know, mental disabilities. I don't know. is obviously, taking things to the extreme like Mike and, and Mike can be touched on. Uh, what I can explain in my head is stuff like the homeless people invading his room because he left the front door open. Like, I think that's probably something he was obviously scared to death of happening, but did this really happen? Because, and this is kind of goes back to, you know, we'll touch on it a little bit later. Like when he gets stabbed and crazy shit, like I can't explain away some of this stuff in this movie. And that's definitely 
that's definitely one of the things with his house being because it's not it's not in his head completely because the room is trashed when he gets back in. So who fucking knows? I don't know. And okay, he just found out about his mother. Great acting, by the way. Phoenix and whoever was on the other end of that call. Was that Bill Hader that was on the other end of the call? If yeah. So fucking just fantastic acting. But what's the deal with the guy on the ceiling over his bathtub? I mean, something that, again, that makes no sense to me at all. Like, I guess I, quote, just don't get it. But, you know, back <laughs> out here in the street with, with the police officer. Like, again, something I feel like that is probably just exaggerated by Bo in my head. The police officer probably hasn't even really pulled his gun like we were talking about, you know, but, but Bo is, is scared to death. But regardless of what I think, though, it's all gone on way too fucking long. Like, sorry, like this is why I always say that Ari Aster is pretty self-indulgent as hell. Like we're like 45 minutes and, and three to four dick shots into this. And we're on scene two in my notes. Like, God almighty. I, Brian, Brian, real quick, the way that I took the uh, the guy hovering above the, the bathtub, I just chalked that up to he was probably in there and things got wild, so he was hiding. Didn't realize everyone had cleared out, and so he was just hiding until he could get away. That's, I mean, so I don't, that's the only way that made sense to me. Weren't in his head. Like, that really happened. At least it really happened. Was that real? Or who tore up his room then? I mean, like, it was fucked up. Like, yeah. By the way, that's like a great scene, though. Like, like just straight up, like it was tense and and had a lot of good fear, and it was shot well. But I had no idea that actually happened or not, which is interesting in and of itself. I will say, my man, through all his brain trauma here, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, was smart enough to put that wedge in the door. That's a pretty smart plan to get. <laughs> he didn't need it. He thought he did. But he didn't probably need that. But it was still a smart plan if you're going to need it. This is well. He didn't have his keys to get in. Well, so, that's I mean, true. Did- that's true. That's a good point. So he technically did need it. Okay. All right. I mentioned the interaction at the convenience store here, where he buys the water, and I think that they do a really good job here, like messing with the sound, messing with the music, like making it feel like we're Bo as things really start to go crazy around him. Him paying for this water, again, minor inconvenience, has turned into a scene from Dawn of the Dead. Like, it is crazy to me how it works. Uh, and I mentioned the Courage of Calorie Dog analogy. I stand by that, and I have it in my notes here. Um, but it's really, while you're taking notes live, this is the first time I really started to realize, oh, we're not seeing this normal or, or this regular reality. We're seeing it through how Bo sees it. Um, I, I will say there's a shoe in this man's computer screen and he decides to use that motherfucker anyway. I thought that, I don't know, that made me laugh. I'm not going to lie. Uh, look, this man on the other end, the UPS driver of the phone, I would have hung up if I were the UPS driver because Bo is asking all the wrong kind of questions. He's slightly being annoying. I know his mom's dying, but I'm just saying like, the whole phone interaction, I would have hung up with the quickness of that UPS driver and gotten the fuck out of there. I didn't see nothing, man. Um, just, but would have been one hell of a way to find out that your mom died. I mean, that would have been crazy. I, I, I just, you know, again, if you're taking it on face value before you know everything, that's a hell of a thing. Like the last conversation he had with her was not good. And now we see 
His life fucking sucks, by the way. You know, clearly, uh, he's, you know, <laughs> it's not a good time. And then his mom dies and he founds out over the phone via UPS driver. Then he gets in the bathtub of all things, which, okay, that's the first, probably not the first thing I'm going to do if I find out my mom died. But hey, he doesn't have a really good grip on reality. So whatever. But we talked about the hovering guy scene over the tub. Have no idea if that happened. I really don't. I don't know how to interpret that. If it did happen, it was kind of funny, not going to lie. If it didn't happen, I think it's some kind of metaphor for something. Maybe he tried to drown himself. Like, I'm not really sure. But I, to me, it was almost like a vehicle just to get Joaquin Phoenix naked in this film. Because like Brian said, we have to get some kind of dick in every one of these movies from Ari Aster. But anyway, uh, again, this man's life is in the shitter. If I were him, if I were Bo, I don't really know if I'd want to continue. I'd probably find a way out, not going to lie. The tub seems like a good place to try that because not only does his life kind of suck, he lives in a cardboard box basically, and now his mom's dead. Like, I don't know. That seems like a really good way to end things. Uh, Last thing, objectively, being run over while you're naked is funny. I'm sorry. It was just fucking hilarious. Y'all know (laughs) – Y'all know my stance on man ass. Man ass is always funny. I don't care what you say. I don't care how you say it sounds. It's fucking hilarious when a naked man's ass. And then he gets run the fuck over, which I thought was funny. But I will say, in my mind, that interaction with the cop and all that stuff never happened. I think that's all Bo. And the only thing from that scene that was real that is what we see later is him getting stabbed, you know, stabbed multiple times. I don't think he ever tried to like run away or interact with the policeman. I think that was all made up in his head. Again, just that heightened sense of fear or how he's seeing things through his perspective. Sorry for the rant. Go ahead, Nico. No, I'm glad you guys kind of touched on wondering if things are, you know, that are going on is real too. Cause I started off my set of notes right here with, I'm getting deep here, but I wonder if all the craziness we see on screen is a metaphor with how anxiety ridden people feel. None of this is actually going on. It's all in Bo's mind. You know, I was thinking this because this bodega wouldn't last a day in business with all that madness right outside his door. I mean, that place would get robbed every day. Uh, The shop owner is definitely tweaking, though, calling the police over some change. And I feel like Bo definitely threw enough money up there to pay for that bottle of water. I mean, I know times are tough, but goddamn, Bubba. The construction worker casually running a drill where a civilian is sleeping on a job site, not an OSHA violation at all. What are you doing, brother? Uh, this man likes to work too hard, I think. You know you're watching a unique movie when a tattooed covered dead man outside your apartment door is like the 14th oddest thing so far. Getting the news my mother's death is inevitable and truly terrifies me. Joaquin, with more great acting, learning of his mother's horrific death. And I think the choice to just freeze and be, un- be unable to speak is a perfect choice for Bo's character. <laughs> and like Dustin mentioned, pause this, but Bo has a bigger sack than Santa Claus. I don't buy this guy holding himself up by the ceiling above Bo's bathtub. Not to hate or judge on the man, but he doesn't have a great physique. There's no way he has the physical strength to hold himself up there as long as the movie portrayed. And like Brian mentioned, this sloshing around scene, it could have been cut to save time. Like, I don't think it did anything. There's so much to process here. Bo runs into the streets naked. The naked birthday killer has killed a man. The dead corpse who jumped from the building is still there. Bo is hit by an RV. I'm speechless, Dustin. What a set of scenes. All right. Next thing we know, we hear water sounds and a bathroom scene fades in where we see a woman and a boy. 
The woman is yelling, but we can't hear anything. Then Bo wakes up in a teenage girl's bedroom. Don't worry, she's not there. He's hooked up to an IV and finds a call button in bed. He presses it, and we hear Grace call out in the hallway. She enters the room to check on Bo, and he feels strange. He's been asleep for two days. She also reveals that Bo was stabbed by the naked man. Bo freaks and asks if he's dead. She said no, and he's healing quickly. She tells him their home is his home as long as he needs. Grace's husband, Roger, comes in. He's a surgeon, and he, he's been taking care of Bo. Bo asks if his mom is really gone or if it was a dream. Grace assures him that it was a dream as Bo sobs. Later at the dinner table, the three are holding hands and staring at a shrine of their other, their son, Nathan, for an extended amount of time. He was killed in action. Roger hands out some pills, which Grace and Bo take, no questions asked. Okay. And Roger tells Bo that his testes are distended and he needs an ultrasound. The chat is interrupted by their daughter, Tony, coming home. She asks if Bo was enjoying her bed and all her stuff. She says it's not like they have another empty room that's unused, which Grace says, right, it's not like that. Tony grabs some pill bottles and says she's off to school despite it being Saturday. Grace leads Bo outside and tells him how to use the phone. We see Jeeves, who served with Grace's son in the military. Jeeves smashes a window on a trailer, and we hear that he hasn't had his meds yet. Bo makes his phone call, and he calls Dr. Cohen, who's not a doctor. He's an attorney. He confirms the news about Bo's mom. As he's on the phone, Jeeves runs through and then jumps in the pool, which and then fades into the bushes. What a wild card that guy is. The attorney tells Bo that the burial has been ridiculously postponed because they're waiting on him and Jeeves is having quite the episode in the background. Bo tells Grace he has to get home and Roger gives Jeeves a pill cocktail. Bo is having a meltdown saying he needs to leave immediately, but Roger and Grace said he can't fly in his condition. Roger says if Bo rests for a couple of days, he'll take Bo home. That doesn't work for Bo, so Grace says they'll take him home tomorrow. Meanwhile, Tony is recording this on her phone. After putting together a Nathan Jigsaw puzzle, Bo heads to bed, where he finds some snazzy silk PJs. When Bo heads to the bathroom, he offers to let Tony have her room, and he'll take the couch, which she stiffly declines. When Bo is in bed, we see Tony through the window knock on Jeeves' trailer door and talk to him while looking in Bo's window. The next morning, Tony is flipping her shit because her stuff has been moved, and she suspects Bo has used her toothbrush. Bo and Roger are at the dining room table while Jeeves stares menacingly through the window. Roger says, today's the day. But before they can go, Roger gets a phone call. There's been a water skiing accident, and he has to go perform surgery. Roger makes a, a theatrical showing and then says he doesn't think today will happen. He says he can move his schedule around and take Bo tomorrow, but Bo says it has to be today and pops a stitch in the commotion. Bo says he can take a train, a bus, a cab, but Roger insists that he'll take Bo tomorrow. Grace hands Bo a coffee mug in a very suspicious way, and when she leaves, we see a note on the napkin under the mug. Stop incrim incriminating yourself. Go ahead. So lots of big names here I recognize. I love Zoe Lister-Jones as young Mona. I think the first time I saw her was on The New Girl, but she's a fantastic actress. And so here we get the first shot of, quote, the dream, you know, which obviously we found out was not later on. But I have to say, like, it's just it's so well shot. Like, I can't say that enough. And the acting, even from the boy, let me not mess this up, James Shavetskovsky. Yeah, anyway, in his debut role, he's fantastic. But then we get introduced to one of my favorite actresses in the world, Amy Ryan as Grace. I'm sorry, that's not Amy Ryan. That's Holly Flax. And how he missed on the opportunity to cast Steve Carell as her husband here. Come on, Ari. Like, no <laughs> offense to Nathan Lane. He's fantastic. 
But man, I would have had a field day saying that this was a continuation of Holly and Michael from The Office. But yeah, that's just me. <laughs> Nathan Lane's great. The entire cast again, fantastic. That was a little. That was a little Donald Trumpish, wasn't it? Like fantastic. All the people think so. Anyway, a little uh, fun fact here: Phoenix had sharpened pins installed in his bandaged hands to poke him painfully if he used it, as well as paper binding clips clamped to his stomach to help facilitate a realistic limp. Which again, like I beg to ask, am I am I wrong when I'm saying that this some of this stuff is being exaggerated hallucination because he was fucking stabbed by the crazy naked dude, right? Like, so he was real. Like, is it all real? Is he living in Detroit? Because that's how I pictured Detroit, to be honest. But anyway, no point in trying to figure it out. Trust me. Just take my word for that one. And speaking of trying to figure this stuff out. So, all right. So Holly Flax and Max from the movie, The Producers, or these uh, suburbanites, as I've seen them referred to as online, they're another extreme test from his mother, right? To, to basically test Bo's resolve, for lack of a better term, to, to getting to the funeral. That's the way I understood it anyway, which, again, is all fine and dandy until shit like Bo getting attacked by the naked guy. And, well, the beginning of the next set of scenes. I don't know. It's, it's very, I'm very confused. Man, <laughs> so much happens here. And I don't know if any of it's real. Like, and I think, you know, that's intriguing. At least you know, like, you know, like we said off the top, I'm so intrigued the entire time. Like the movie never loses me, even though it's long as fuck. For me, that's pretty, I will give that a thumbs up that it never loses my interest. I don't ever feel like it's totally dragging, which is good. And this is where, to me, really starts to pick up on on turning the volume up on that craziness, for lack of a better term. I know I shouldn't use that. But look, this man hit the jackpot. This man was in a fucking shithole apartment. He got ran over, left for dead. And now he wakes up in a nice, warm bed, beautiful home. It's nice outside. They got a nice shot. This man hit the jackpot with this. I would just shut up and not complain. I know that's not how that's going to – but, again, it would be a best day ever feeling to me. Um, but like I said earlier, and I have it here in my notes, I'm starting to question if any of this is real. I do think there are some things, but could it be that this is a hospital or mental institution and he's seeing it this way instead of how it actually is? I think that's one interpretation. I know there's the interpretation I read on earlier that uh, – all this is a test from his mom. I'll say that for the end. I feel like that's a really long-winded thing there. But I do feel like there's not everything here is on the up and up. I mean, isn't that the point, though, of Grace showing the, the video feed is because his mother is behind all this? Am I sure. Right? Sure. Yeah. So, but I, but I don't, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like he's in some kind of institution that he's interpreting as like a nice house or, something, or like a nice warm, cozy thing. I mean, no, I mean, look no further than the crazy, you know, the crazy daughter, the veteran that's, who's, by the way, Ash Jeeves, I, I couldn't get over that anyway. But I mean, just to me, they look like co-patients and not actual, like just people that they know. Like, I feel like it's all, there's a really deep theory there, but again, I don't feel like this is all on the up and up. I feel like we're seeing something that's, um, you know, a little bit lighter through Bo's perception. But, I, I mean, clearly the whole family's medicated, so something's off. Uh, <laughs> I, the, the, there's clearly something going on there. 
Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't care what the daughter says. I'm not giving up that bed. Fuck them kids. I'm sleeping in my warm ass bed. That's your fault for, for sleeping on the couch. Um, look. Also, did we not see the, the Mother Mary or whoever that was supposed to be thing dropped and broken in the last set of scenes? Like, was that not part of the deal? And now it becomes a permanent fixture in the film. Like, that kind of made me raise my eyebrows permanently. Like, okay, there's some things here that aren't legit, which is okay. Um, but oh, I guess I thought that it was like glued together. Like, it, I didn't thought it was glued back together. Like, it looked. And maybe that's the case, and I just missed it. Yeah, that could be it. Um, you know, last thing here. <laughs> this these people creep me out so much. I would probably find a way out of there. Like, like I know he's not in the right frame of mind, but these people are too friendly. They're too nice. They're too comforting. Uh, he's got a stab wound he didn't know about. Like he's there with the doctor that healed him up. Like, ah, I don't know, man. This is giving me some strange vibes. And I do so something I still want to understand is what the fuck this note means. Like. I'm sure there's a way if I really thought about it, I would bring it back into the ending, but I haven't quite, that's one of those pieces I haven't quite figured out. So I'm legitimately asking what the fuck does that note mean? (laughs) Okay, go ahead. I got you. So in the end, when Bo gets to his mom's house, we see that uh, collage of all the employees. Nathan is, Uh he's pictured. And then in the end, the end later on when he's actually on trial and we're seeing clips from his life being shown at his trial, she's sure. trying to tell him, "Hey, stop doing, stop making it seem like you don't uh, want to get home. Stop incriminating okay. yourself." That's I see, I see. Okay, exactly. Okay. So his see mother that. is behind the entire thing, right? That's yeah. why I don't think he's in an institution or anything. I just kind of thought that maybe these these people were just they took in. People well, they all work for her. Yeah, I mean, they make that pretty clear. Yeah. That they're all employees of her. I have a great idea. I think we should all rewatch it again and live tweet it. Who says no? Yeah, let's Me. do it. Literally everybody <laughs> says no. All right, okay. I'll do it. <laughs> I'm with Damn you, brother. I'll do it. I'll do it. We're in this together, buddy. I will do it so I can stop tweeting about Florida State football. I will tweet about something else. I promise. Fair enough. Uh, borrowing a line from brother Mike Bo's younger mom. Call me sometime. Uh, asking the co-host and audience, how would you feel waking up in a girl's bedroom in some stranger's house with medical equipment attached to you? Yeah, I'd feel the same way. Uh, Bo is Ari Aster's Chad Meeks, I guess. Man is completely fine after being hit by an RV and multiple stabbings. Get some rest is all he needs. This is this is unreal. We got to get some realism back in these horror movies, guys. Grace and Roger, they just ooze crazy. And the movie is definitely touching on the overusage and prescribing of medicinal drugs which I can appreciate, uh, especially over the past few years. Grace and Roger's daughter, Tony, it has to be a nod to Hereditary, which I really appreciate. Shout out to Tony Collette, a true legend. Bo's mother's attorney is an asshole, God almighty. Why are you snapping on someone who lost their mother and told you he was hit in an accident? Good Lord, man. The way Roger says, you need to get some rest, my brother. That had me crying laughing. I had to pause it. I don't know why that was so funny. Grace putting together a puzzle of her dead soldier's son, while a thousand miles plays. This shit is so weird to me, but the parents, but to parents who have lost a child like this, perhaps it's normal. But to this day, I only think of Terry Crews hearing that song. Bo's name is sewn into his pajama pocket. When the hell do they have time to do this? And why is Roger so casual asking about his mother's death? Exactly. Nathan, Nathan Lane is hilarious in the movie. His moans and groans of frustration are great. And his line delivery are perfect for this kooky character. Uh, Bo has to be so confused seeing this incriminating note, like y'all mentioned. 
Uh, the movie is weird, but you know, I'm still intrigued so far. All right. Bo leaves a voicemail from, for Dr. Cohen and then uses Tony's laptop. He Googles his mom's death and we see the UPS driver who found her being interviewed. Bo sees someone at the news report that can, or on the news report that confuses him. And then he projectile vomits all over the laptop, which Tony was understandably upset about. She says she's taking Bo's home. They get in a van with one of Tony's friends and she forces him to smoke the marijuanas while her friend records on her phone. Tony's a real manipulative bitch. Bo starts panicking and asks if he can die from the drugs, but the girls ignore him. Bo points out that they just drove by Tony's house again in a very well done drug haze. Like that is probably the way, the best depiction of what it feels like to be on drugs I've ever seen in movies. Um, Bo's van seat turns into a seat on a cruise ship. We see Bo's mom asking younger him about Martha and Bo says he loves her and she's his friend. Bo sees another kid. It's a girl getting an ice cream cone inside the cabin on the cruise. Bo hears a girl kicking or knocking on doors yelling. There's a dead man in the pool cut to the pool. And we get a shot from under the water with the corpse floating on top. And we hear Bo and Elaine getting to know each other at dinner. Mona asks Bo about her and continues the inter- interrogation in bed back to present day. And Bo is on the couch as Roger and Grace come home. Then back to the past again. And Mona tells Bo she's going to bed and Bo sneaks out to meet Elaine. She's asking him about desserts and he has something negative to say about them all. She asks Bo if he's a virgin and he says he has to. It's dangerous for him. It's genetic. His dad died. She says they're allowed to kiss, but only for the next 10 seconds. And Bo kisses her. As Elaine's mom yells at him, Tony yells at Bo and wakes him up in her bed. Back on the, on the cruise ship now, Elaine bursts into Bo's cabin and tells him she's being taken away. Bo promises to wait for her. Mona yells at Bo while Tony and Jeeves yell at her in present day. And now Jeeves is storming through the house towards Bo, who's on the couch. Jeeves falls, and Roger sticks him with a needle to subdue him. Grace tells Bo not to worry and explains that he's just like this because of the service. The next day, Roger enters the room and says it's grilling time. Bo helps, or Grace helps Bo up and sits him on the couch. Grace hands Bo the TV remote and whispers Channel 78 to him. It's live footage of the room Bo is in, except he can fast forward past the present. We see images of what's to come before Tony ushers Bo into Nathan's room with some paint cans. She starts painting all over Nathan's walls and then has a total fucking meltdown. She wait, she wants Bo to get fucked up with her. She starts chugging the blue paint. Bo calls for help. Grace bursts in to see Bo holding her and tries to give her CPR, but she gone. Grace calls Bo a demon and grabs a sword off the wall. Bo runs through a glass door and takes off through the woods. Grace yells for Jeeves to rip him apart. Bo runs face first into a tree. Go ahead. <laughs> So this entire Bo getting high thing, I mean, obviously that's just a vehicle to be able to show more of the flashback of the relationship between Bo and his mother and the whole thing on the cruise ship. But you couldn't just have a flashback. What was the point of the getting high scene? Cut that. This movie is too damn long. Anyway, again, Armin Nahapishan, that plays a uh, teen Bo, does another phenomenal acting job. Um, I guess this is the first time that we really get to see how manipulative Mona really is. I mean, if we're going to place a villain in the story, it would have to be Mona, right? I mean, just just all throughout, but especially here, like we see her trying to manipulate and again, demasculate Bo, like making him scared of the world because what we see here on the ship and his interaction with teen Elaine, sidebar, 
great actress, but looks nothing like a young Parker Posey. So it was a little jarring. That threw me off a little bit, a little nitpick I have. Uh, anyway, but when he's on the ship with her and interacting and, and living life, he doesn't see that ship as chaos like he does whatever city he was in, Detroit, as I called it, like earlier in the movie. But here, you can definitely see that progression of her sinking her claws into her son and the manipulation that comes into play. But even that, I think, is subtle and a lot less in your face than it is at the end. But I'm also assuming it's implied that Mona is the one who caused her mom to be removed from the ship. I mean, like kind of since we find out later on that she's employed by her mom, but kind of like we talked about a minute ago, like with Grace and whatever his name is, were they employees before all this stuff happened or after all this stuff? Like, who knows? Like, did she buy them off later? I don't know. Anyway, I almost forgot that we're back at the suburban home. Jeeves, the old army vet is another anomaly that I, I don't, I don't understand at all. Like, is this happening? Like Bo is seeing no idea. And, and this is what I was talking about in the last set of scenes. If Mona is the one that set all of this up or at least paid this family, I'm assuming, and or like we talked about, maybe they're employed with her now. I don't know. Either way, I'm sure they got paid. But if she's the one that set all this stuff up, it's like like the dude stabbing him we thought wasn't real. What's the deal with the daughter committing suicide and drinking the paint? Like, was that real? Why does Grace blame Bo if it was real? Because, I mean, she can see all these cameras and see what really happened. So I don't know. That whole thing confuses me. But we're almost to the halfway point here, guys. The halfway <laughs> point. I also don't quite – this is where the lines really start to blur to me, man. Like really, really start to blur on what am I looking at as far as – What's in Bo's head? What's not in Bo's head? And I don't think it's that standard trope either that you get like, oh, it's all a dream. No, it's not a dream, uh, which I can't stand when a cop-out movie does that. But I, th- there's just some clearly lapses in and out of reality here. I mean, the man is on drugs for part of this. So, uh, I mean, clearly there's not a good grasp on reality. But I'm just legitimately confused what is happening. You know, he, you know, he finally sees what we come to know, what we come to find out is Elaine. And he just throws up all over the computer, which I thought was hilarious, to be honest. Um, and again, if I'm in that van and I'm in the normal state of mind, why the fuck do I have to smoke this again? Like, who are these two? I don't know them. <laughs> you know, to quote Bobby Hill, that's my purse. Yeah, I don't know you. You know, like, why do I have to smoke this thing? Uh, and why is he being recorded the whole time? Obviously, I think we've answered that, but. When I'm taking notes, I'm like, why, why, why? Like, what are all, there's so many questions and dots that need to be connected still. But, you know, not only is this man out of his mind, he's stuck in the car with two awful fucking people. Nothing good in this whole movie has ever happened to Bo. Like, he gets to what you think is a nice place, and then these people are fucking out of their mind as well. They're terrible humans. Uh, The way they're talking about him, just typical, what I would think, teenage bullshit. Um, again, young, <laughs> young Mona, call me sometime. We, we, you know, we meet the character of Elaine, which we saw a little bit of a picture of earlier. And that was kind of confusing until this point, but she seems a little off her rocker too. Like she's waking the whole cruise ship up about this dead guy. And then doesn't actually seem to care that there's a dead guy floating in the pool. Like there, there's some screws loose there for her as well. So they do seem like a good match. Although she just seems very strong charismatic, independent, you know, self-reliant. And Bo's like the complete opposite of that, at least 
when he's with his mom. When he starts to become with Elaine, he talks to her. They have conversations. You know, Brian already pointed all this out. They end up kissing. You know, all this stuff that kind of goes to it. And by the way, Elaine's aggressive as hell. She was she was trying to make that first move really early on, which I I applaud her. Good. Not it. Well, we don't always have to make the first move, ladies. All right, just throwing that out there. Anyway, um, <laughs> but anyway, we come back here and we get my man Jeeves trying to murder this man, and this fucker's a bear. He's got goddamn all these different shots in his back, and he's still trying to kill Bo. Uh, and and again, I don't believe that Tony is their daughter. Like, there's got to be some other connection here because Brian you mentioned it like why is she drinking pain again where did that come from like all of a sudden she's trying to kill herself like there's just a lot of stuff that's not really linking up and for me as far as the plot goes and then like you mentioned they turn on Bo all of a sudden like it's his fault like you know like you said there's cameras there you can see everything so I'm, I'm really wondering what 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 actually happened that caused Bo to run away and leave like did the daughter drink like alcohol and he viewed it as paint like worse like i'm really really confused on that particular part of the movie and maybe there's answers i don't know probably should have looked it up but to me the perception of Bo starting at this p- point i can't really trust anything that he's seeing i took the whole paint thing as she was just crying out for help like that was just her lashing out her parents clearly haven't moved on from her brother's death they still it seems like love him more than her. And so it was, sure. a, it was an attention thing. I don't think she necessarily meant to kill herself, but it was just sure. consequence, you know, well, 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 if it isn't the consequences <laughs> of my own actions. That's so, fair, point. So it, fair point. So that was real. So the guy stabbing him in the street was real. That kind, Those kind of anomalies like throw me off. For as long as this movie is, I really don't have a lot of notes just because I feel like, I'm so invested into what's going on, trying to figure it out. So I don't really have a lot of notes for this set of scenes. I'm, like, I'm like that in the end. I promise. I promise. Yeah. As the movie goes, I'm like, I'm done with taking the extraordinary notes here. I just need to focus on what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how typical a doctor says, call me if you need me, but doesn't answer. And their answering machine doesn't work. Typical, typical. Oh, we get a nice cameo from Bill Hader as a UPS guy. Uh, I wish he would have been in the movie more in some, to some extent. I love Bill Hader. He's hilarious. If I was Tony, I'd be frustrated. This stranger took over my room and then threw all threw up all over my computer. Dude, that was a lot of puke all over that computer, man. You can't just wipe that shit up with a Kleenex. We go from Bo tweaking in the car to young Bo on a cruise. The mother-son dynamic is so odd. And like you mentioned, Mike, Elaine banging on the random people's doors about a dead man in the pool. That was outrageous behavior to me. And they're just fishing this dead guy out with a noose on a stick? Like, what? Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Why are Bo and his mother sleeping in the same bed having this conversation? And why is her voice so sensual? Is she trying to fuck her son? Like, this is this oh, is I was, weird. I, that, 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 that thought crossed my mind. I didn't write it down. I'm glad somebody did. Dude, her voice sounded like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, go watch the movie, you're the guy. Best, like, you're the best man. I know you can be. Like, ah. Yeah, like, I don't I don't want to offend any listeners, but if you go watch the movie, like, she put that, uh, that romance voice, and it was weird. And why does Jeeves live at Roger and Grace's residence? This man is insane. And why is Grace calling him sweetie, kissing his forehead? The fuck is going on around here? Are Bo and Jeeves some type of metaphor of doctors trapping their patients with medicine, I ask? Tony obviously has some type of drama or guilt over her brother's death. 
Drinking paint to kill herself is a wildest way to commit suicide. Tony's dead body and her eyes were horrific, especially for a parent. Uh, another set of scenes, my brain hurts from what I've seen, but Dustin, I'm still intrigued by God. <laughs> Before Bo comes to, we see an attic door being closed. Then Bo gets up and walks further into the woods. It's dark now, and Bo hears a woman singing. He tells her he's lost. She takes a huge shard of glass out of his forehead, and he goes with her. We see some signs on the trees, and it's clear these are some weird cats he stumbled upon. It's hard to describe the vibes, but think medieval fair mixed with Bonnaroo. There's a huge stage in the middle of their camp. They're rehearsing for a play. They call themselves the Orphans of the Forest. They're a traveling theater company. It's time for the show, and Bo is given a costume. We see Jeeves hauling ass running down the street, and we see that he's tracking Bo. Another man in the crowd at the play asks what he's doing there, but gets no answer. The play begins, and it has some really cool stage design. The play is a dramatic one, which a man uh, has a man bemoaning how he lost everything. Bo is completely into the play, as is the whole audience. As the man in the play breaks his chain, he becomes Bo. Bo is now in the play, and when I say in the play, I mean in it. The stage design is the actual atmosphere now. Bo starts his journey, and the story is being told of him finding his village and building a life. This is one trippy-ass scene. Bo meets a woman, and the story changes depending on who tells it. He kisses her. She's fucking animated. Sometimes she looks like a man. Okay. She becomes pregnant because Bo has sex with her. Funny how that was phrased. I actually laughed. Bo has three sons. This scene is a mixture between animation and real and looks like a play come to life. I honestly don't know how to describe it. Bo gets lost in a foreign country in this story, and he looks for his family but never finds him. Bo gets blamed for burning a village down and is thrown in jail. He breaks out of the pokey and continues to search for his family. He collapses when he's old and he cries. The narrator tells a woman to uh, narrator woman tells him to confess. After he confesses, he sleeps better and has good water to drink. He wakes up in his village. No one recognizes the old man, though, because he's old, but he's home. He goes to a play in an outdoor theater and spends his last dollar on it. Old man Bo walks through the crowd to finds, and finds a seat, and it looks identical to the stage and crowd that actual Bo is at. On stage, his story is being told to his boys. They share a nice sentimental moment upon reconnecting, and Bo learns the boy's mom is gone. The boys ask about their any other family, and Bo tells them their grandmother is dead, and we see a flashback of Bo's mom yelling or telling young Bo how his dad died. He died by finishing in her the first time they ever had sex. It's a heart condition. He died on top of her and inside of her, and that the same would happen to Bo if he ever had sex. Very crazy story to tell your young son. Back wow. to old man Bo, and he said it's why he never had sex. And his son asked him, how did you have us then? And Bo is confused. Go ahead. Ooh, so am I. So besides the dickapalooza that we get at the end, spoiler alert, this is my least favorite part of the movie here. I mean, this entire Robin Hood, people of the woods thing, it's just so slow and just so goddamn long that like it spans this set of scenes and the next in our notes. That never happens. It's just too good goddamn long to me. Shout out, though, to friend of the show, Julian Richards, playing the strange man in the woods. Both both thanks is his father. Interview at don't go out there dot com. But all right. So I talked about the demasculization of Bo like twice already, I think. But this entire play kind of goes more into that as he loses himself in it and pretty much projects himself into the play. But 
in a very masculine way. I mean, like he's a fucking wood chopper from way back who builds his own house, finds a wife, has Damn kids. Right. <laughs> I mean, just a very manly fucking life. Like he was lived in Tennessee. Um, anyway, that, that, that bow is obviously so handicapped by his mother that he's obviously unable to ever achieve, but wishes that he could have. I mean, I think there's a pretty deep layer here to flush out if you want to, but damn, it drags so much for me personally. And I'm already just two hours into this. I'm like fucking drained to be honest. And I don't mean the podcast. I mean, watching this fucking movie, although your boy is pretty tired right now. Now, the visuals, I think, are absolutely phenomenal during all this play stuff. Like, David Gaucher was the supervising art director. My man has done X-Men Apocalypse, Dark Phoenix, Day After Tomorrow, Spiderwick Chronicles, just huge movies. And it really shows here. I think it's very visually entertaining. Uh, but besides a lot of this play's deeper meanings, I mean, there's, there's just a lot I still don't understand and probably never will understand here. Like, Mona knows about him giving the girl the por- porcelain figure later, so... Are we supposed to be under the impression that she put all this together too? Because, come on, that's a little something I can't make work in my head. Uh, anyway, go ahead, Mike. All right, I promise everyone this is the longest set of notes I have, and then they're they're pretty short the rest of the way. Like they really are, because like like Nico mentioned, like I just kind of got lost in the film because if I didn't pay attention for long enough, I felt like I was going to miss something. So bear with me. I mean, hey, I've been saying how much I love the setting in the woods, so, hey, I can't really knock this part here. It does go a little long, but I do like the setting. I think it's pretty cool and it looks good. But, again, this is starting to give me some, like, weird Shutter Island vibes where, like, you know, where he finds Rachel Solando down in the cave or whatever. Like, eh, I'm not so sure about this. Like, this isn't on the up and up what I'm seeing here. Um, But what the hell is this? A community theater? group in the middle of the fucking woods like what am i watching this is this part to me still feels like Bo is on drugs like i don't like like there's some like to me this feels like he got knocked out by the branch or the log or the tree and was passed the fuck out dreamed this whole thing and then after he got out of the woods the the next day all he did was wake up and walk on to the next hitchhiking thing like that's what i think happened but anyway i will say as dumb as this part is, it's pretty fucking cool. You know, did Dustin mention the, the animation next to the real life bow? Like I thought that was really cool and well done. You know, it looked like there was even a little bit of stop motion or claymation, I should say. Then there's hand-drawn animation and then they insert bow into this thing. You can't, you know, did the Dustin did about as good as you can. You can't like really reiterate what the narrator said. You just need to go watch that part of the film. Like, it's a really, like, the way they lay out Bo's story I thought was pretty well done. Um, and Although this would be my hell, because I don't really like plays. So to just, like, wake up and you're in the middle of the woods and you find this traveling theater group, like, no thank you on that. Um, but, look, it's a depressing story. Uh, what, what happens to Bo? And then you see him as, like, an old man, and he's found his sons. And then you kind of like, wait a minute, how the fuck did he have sons? This man's never fucked anything. And that's what comes to the realization there. I mean, this how the fuck could you tell your son that story? Like, no chance in hell that's I would make something up that sounded way more extraordinary, way more extravagant. You know, maybe your dad died in, in Vietnam or 
some other shit I would have made up. Not, not, you know, not nutting on top of me. That's a pretty terrible way to go, man. Well, depending on how you look at it, that could be a good way to go, I guess. Anyway, whoa, it happened in the movie. It happened in the movie. Come on. Come on. Come on. All right. Gavel me. God right, now you're saying come on too much. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is crazy. God. All right. That was a little crazy. That was a little crazy. All right. All right. All right. That, that was a little crazy. My bad. My bad. But could you imagine nutting and then dying? I mean, I, I feel like there's two ways to look at that. That's either really <laughs> bad or really good. If, like, the last emotion you feel is, uh, I mean, that's pretty wild. That's you. You, you could die worse ways, right? Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> Mike was like, "But, but for real, could you imagine <laughs> nutting and the dying? Like, <laughs> but, but for real." <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just being honest, everybody. But, but listen, I w- will say some of the, <laughs> I'm going to give the movie credit. Some of the shots in this part are really well done. I like the the, the way that Ari Aster uses the camera. I like how whatever they did in post production to make this. Scene in the woods look really good. I thought was was well done. But oh, I have it right here in my notes. It's the last line that says, "Man, what the fuck is all this bullshit?" <laughs> that's literally a line I have in my notes, and that's how I'm going to end. Go ahead, Biko. This has been a great episode. But first, <laughs> the, the start of this, I got to ask Leprechaun. goes <laughs> Leprechaun. I got to ask, how was Bo not dead? He's hit by an RV, multiple stab wounds, and now four four forties into a tree with your head. This guy is built different. Our Bo, and now Bo apologizes to the girl in the woods saying, I'm sorry, I'm lost. And all I could think was, me too, Bo, me too. I'm confused as a motherfucker right now. Really not sure what to say here, but of course there's a huge theater in the middle of the woods with all kinds of odd individuals by Roger and Grace's house because, of course, like Brian mentioned, the animation, green screen narration scene of Bo's life story is entertaining, but it runs on forever and it just loses me. The woman's voice is very calming, though. I got to compliment the mask. The mask this woman has on is scary as fuck. Mom telling her young son that died, that dad died instantly the second he nutted her is insane behavior. I don't know what is going on with this mom. Shout out to Alice Babbage, the costume designer. All the people look great, especially the old man version of Bo. Uh, that's really all I have. Uh, I'm I'm so confused, but fuck it. Let's keep going. Go ahead, Dustin. This <laughs> sounds like my prom night. Um. <laughs> You said that last week. <laughs> no, I cut that out. Uh, back, back to present day, real Bo at the play, and Bo feels sick, and the woman that found him in the woods gives him something to drink. To repay the favor, Bo pulls out the trinket he bought for his mom and gives it to her. Then a weird-looking fuck sitting behind Bo is staring at him creepily and asks Bo if he recognizes him. He says, when you were little, but then changes the subject. He tells Bo his father is alive and that he knows him. He served him food after Bo was born. He notices Bo's ankle monitor and says he was kidding and walks away. Bo asks if he's his father, and the man just keeps walking. The man on stage sees someone approaching and is then shot with an arrow. I think it was an arrow. It looked like an arrow. The strange man tells Bo to run before an explosion kills multiple people. It's Jeeves. He opens fire with an Uzi and takes Bo out. Jeeves is taken down from behind and lands on the gun, still firing, and shoots himself in the collarbone many times. Pretty hilarious scene. Before he dies, he hits an incapacitate button on a cell phone, and Bo's ankle bracelet shocks him and subdues him. We then see young Bo again, getting a bath from his mom, but another kid, who I think is also young Bo, is being told to get in the bath. But he instead asks where his dad is, and he's told he's dead. 
Young Mona asked the kid if the, in the bath if he wants daddy too, and the camera shakes as if it was in first-person mode saying no. Mona grabs the kid outside the tub and leads him down the hall and opens the attic door. She tells him to go up, but he says no one's allowed up there. She forces him up and closes the door behind him. The other Bo gets back in the water, and we cut back to real present day. Bo stands up to the sounds of birds chirping, so he was out overnight. He finds a highway and then catches a ride with a stranger. The man takes him home. He finally made it to Wasserton, just over two hours into the movie. Bo gets out of the car in his mom's driveway as people are loading up furniture, and he finds out the funeral is over. As he heads inside, we see a statue of a woman holding a child, and it's the exact same design as the trinket he bought for his mom. Inside, a video is playing of the service. This is a bitchin'-ass house, I gotta say. We see the broken chain that held the chandelier that fell, as well as the dent in the floor that it caused when it fell, and we see a corpse in the open casket with no head. That's a choice. Bo heads downstairs as his mom's favorite song plays, and he looks at several pictures of him and his mom on the staircase. We find out that Mona was a hell of a businesswoman, and she built an empire, and we see a shrine to her accomplishments, and we see that Roger and the man with the face tattoos that tormented him earlier were her employees. Bo lays down on a couch and takes a siesta, but is awakened by a woman calling out hello. She thought the funeral was at 8 p.m., and Mona owed her money. Bo doesn't say anything, and she heads outside to call an Uber. Done that a time or two, just ask Nico. Bo follows her and says, Elaine? It's the girl from the cruise ship. She's shocked. She worked for Mona. Bo tells her he waited on her for what, or he waited for her like she wrote on the picture. She says that she wanted him to and asks if he wants to go inside. And suddenly Bo is courageous. He goes in for the smooch. They go inside and she immediately asks where the bedroom is. They go to Mona's bedroom and Elaine starts going through Mona's shit. She tells Bo to go to the bathroom and when he returns, she'll be ready. He comes back out and Mona is in her skivvies and she points out that he's not. He goes back and then comes back out and hastily gets under the covers. She's naked now and kisses Bo. He says he's tense because it's been a while. She plays Always Be My Baby by Mariah Carey and I'll never hear that song the same way again. She gets on top of him and rubbers him up. They bang one out and during sex, she stops to restart the song. I laughed. Bo busted nut despite his protest, and she remarks how fat the load was. He blasted through the jimmy. She's determined to get her nut, too, and keeps going. But in a hell of a plot twist, instead of Bo dying from sex, like his mom suggested would happen, Elaine croaks on the cock. Bo freaks out and tosses her to the floor. Bo crawls in, uh, crawls on the floor and cries, and then checks to see if she's still dead. Yep, she is. He cuts off Mariah's song, and then Mona's voice says, Please, continue as if I wasn't here. Go ahead. Ari Aster is a fucking psychopath. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> but at least we get some more action in this set of scenes with Jeeves going fucking Rambo on these people at the start. Jeeves' death is my favorite. I'll spoil it here. But all right, but if he's that mentally like unstable or whatever he is, and being shot with that machine gun over and over again, as Dustin said, but he can take the time to open his phone and disable Bo? Like... This dude has been running through the woods this entire time, and he could have done this all along. Like, what is he? What did he even hit him with? Like, is what, that electric shock knocked him out? Like, what is that thing? I don't know. Either way, there are some really good first-person POV shots here with Bo running through the woods again before, like I said, somehow being knocked out by this fucking ankle thing. I don't know. Um, I did laugh my ass off the first time it showed who we thought was Mona. 
in the casket without any fucking cranium. I just, I laughed and I verbally just said like, what the fuck? <laughs> because like Dustin said, that's a choice. Uh, upon second viewing, I noticed that Tina Lane's mom was in one of the magazines on Mona's wall. So I'm going to assume at this point that she was, you know, that she set up that entire meeting with young Elaine on the boat as well. I don't know. Since Elaine worked for Mona that we obviously found out here, but then mom says she wasn't sure. I don't really know about that, but that's something that confused me the first time I watched this. I was like, how was Elaine working for Mona? But I don't know. speaking of Elaine Parker, freaking Posey, who admittedly I had a big crush on during Blade Trinity. And I think after Scream 3, this is, I think, the second movie that we've done with Parker in it. So I don't know. Um, I think so, though. But anyway, like, what the fuck happened to her? Like, how did she die? Like, did Mona kill her somehow? It's, it's confusing. Like, what am I missing here? I watched it twice. I'm not watching that shit again. Someone can explain it to me. I'm assuming that she just by coincidence, like, how did she die? She just by coincidence had a heart attack instead of him. And that's supposed to be mm. ir- irony, I guess. Is that what that's we're looking at That's the way it's like, it's just a ironic twist. But it's, it's weird but that she froze in place. Like she just, man, she died during an organ. Twist. <laughs> <laughs> she twisted her dick. <laughs> the old dick twist. That's what he did. <laughs> but like, well, it, was, I mean, it was weird. Just judging was by weird the that- sheer, the sheer mass of his satchel sack size. Uh, you know, he probably shot so much in her that it literally froze her. It, it was running through her veins. His jizz mummified. That's what we're saying. Here. Yeah, hey, yeah. Don't clip she that was notified. Don't clip that out. She was notified. Ari Aster's a fucking crazy. You never. Fucking hey man. Hey man. You you never heard that Rick and Mortis dick? Come on, man. Come on. Guess no. Rick and Mortis Go dick. Mike. Rick and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting another bad vibes. review. <laughs> oh Jesus! All oh, right, we're off the fucking rails. Fuck you and your bad reviews. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Okay, um, man. All right, now this is where the movie to me just starts to go completely ape shit, and I have to kind of pay attention. So I don't have a ton here. I will say, uh, sending your son up to the attic makes you an automatic 2023 winner of, of the Man Fuck Them Kids Award. So congratulations to Mona. Uh, on this prestigious honor, I will say Moda had a nice house, so I don't know why Bo is living in the shit box he was living in. But hell, man, if you're gonna be this much of a pussy, uh, you might as well just stay at your mom's house, man. Like I don't know, this is a pretty nice crib. I just would have, I just would have stayed there until she croaked, collected that check, man. You know the vibes. Um, I will say I cannot be the only one that laughed at the headless woman in the cast. Sorry. It, 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 if I am, then I ah, fuck me, I guess. But I thought it wasn't funny. But look, Nico touched on it in like the bed scene. This woman was infatuated with Bo. Like this is some really weird stuff. How many pictures that she had of him and her? I thought was very strange. Um, I will say I do like this kind of reveal here that her mom's company it has this many or has its hands and this many things. Pause where. You know, all the stuff you see on the wall and the ads have Bo in them. Like, clearly the theory out there that Bo is kind of, was kind of like a test dummy for all these different medications and supplements and stuff that her company was making. I think there's some validity to that. I do. 
Uh, and I think it's pretty clear by all these advertisements and pictures on the wall here. Um, <laughs> I found it really, really hard to believe. Uh, and they explained it away that Elaine worked for Mona. But I found it hard to buy into the fact that Elaine worked for her this whole time. And Bo didn't know. Like To me, there's some like hard things to tie up there. And I may have missed something, so forgive me. But I still like that we get this scene because it's fucking hilarious. And the whole thing is wild. Uh, for a minute there, I thought they were going to reveal that Elaine killed Mona. You know, that's kind of the way I thought they were setting that up, but not not the case. This man's about to get laid for the first time ever, and we're watching it. You guys mentioned how big his fucking coin purse is. The man has like 10 rolls of quarters in there. So you know it's going to be, you know, Scary Movie 2 vibes. But Parker Posey, call me sometime, okay? That's all I'm going to say there. But... This scene is fucking hilarious, man. The whole thing, Bo's timidness, how long, how long it lasts, like uh, the fact that uh, he busted the condom, like the whole thing is fucking funny. And then on top of it, she dies, which I know that's not supposed to be funny. And I know there's the theory out there that I sent in the text earlier, which I don't believe, but I do like the theory is that Bo actually died, and he's seeing seeing like he's seeing it happen to her instead, like in the in some like alternate thing. Like there is a theory and it made more sense to me reading it out loud. So I'll have you go look that one up for yourself. But last thing I have is shout out to Mariah Carey. I'm so fucking confused, but always be my baby is a fucking banger. So go ahead. Thanks. Uh, like Brian mentioned, that's friend of the show, Julian Richings. You can list his inter- full interview at don't go out there.com. Got to shout out the old website. He always makes a movie better. He does a great job being a red herring as a potential father. And he delivers his lines perfectly. But hell, he might actually be the father. Where's Mari at? There's no way Jeeves would have had the ability to deactivate Bo's device while simultaneously shooting himself. I agree 100%, Brian. That shit made no sense. Be for real. Bo's mom is in a bikini giving her son a bath because, of course, this man had a horrific relationship with his mother. All right, Mona, you go, girl. This house is nice. She must have that Mike Settle money. Seeing a headless body in a casket is a huge red flag to me. There's no way this would be an open casket, right? And here's another familiar face, the lovely Parker Posey. One of my favorite parts of that piece of shit movie, Scream 3. Hey. Thinking a funeral starts at 8 p.m. is hilarious. So, all right, Scream fans, be quiet. Don't don't yell Whoa. at me. I'm sorry. Whoa. Elaine telling Bo everything is the same except your body and face reminds me of that old Larry the Cable Guy joke when he's talking about his girlfriend looking like Shania Twain. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you know, you know. Fellas, if a lady says she's got wine breath, she's ready for coitus. That's all you need to know, my friend. It is cute seeing an old flame reignite. Let's go inside and where's the bedroom? Elaine is ready to, in capital letters, fuck. Thanks to Bo is afraid I will never hear always be my baby the same ever again. More trauma for Bo, the love of his life, the one he waited on, dying in horrific pose, butt naked on top of him, frozen in a horrific state. This movie is something else. I can't can't thank Dustin enough for picking it. The tables have turned. (laughs) Mona is still alive. Holy moly, donut shop. What the hell is going on here? Go ahead, Dustin. I will say really quick, uh, how do we know Elaine wasn't just trying to get that inheritance money, man? We don't know. Well, unless she was in on the thinking of the death, I guess. That's fair. But anyway, go ahead. All right. Well, and Bo proved that the best way to get over someone is to get under someone. I mean, his mom wasn't even dead 24 hours. Well, I guess she was dead a few days, but just immediately banging in her bed. <laughs> well, we right. honestly don't even know uh, if that happened or not. We have no clue. Brother, that, was a, in, that, that was a wild way to use that, that phrase. 
Mona says it's a miracle since she was just dead a moment ago and tosses Bo his clothes. She gathers the sheets off the bed while Bo sits on the floor, frozen in confusion. She tells a maid and a man to get rid of this and to feed Harry, and they take Elaine's body away. Bo asks his mom if Elaine worked for her, and she said she doubts it. But if he's right, he can tell Elaine she's fired. That's funny. Mona says she watched the whole thing. Bo banged in his deceased mom's bed. He said she knew she wasn't dead. He saw the birthmark. It was Martha's hands in the casket. We see a flashback of a nanny tucking Bo into bed. He asked how he could do that to her. Mona said she volunteered. She said she knows everything. Bo made up lies and schemes throughout the years. In the middle of Mona's rant, Bo heads to the door, and we find out Mona also had mommy issues. She presses play on a remote, and we hear Bo's therapy sessions over the speakers, and Bo's doctor walks into the room. Bo is bewildered. A therapy session plays where Bo describes the dream we saw earlier where there's two of him. He says he wants the truth. He knows his father is alive and that he met him in the woods. Mona says to follow her. She leads him to the attic. Bo is scared shitless. He heads up the ladder into the dark attic. Mona says that wasn't a dream. It was a memory. I think she called him an idiot. That was funny. I don't know. Parents calling their kids idiots sometimes when they are idiots is funny. Uh, he lights a flashlight and scans the room to find the single most absurd thing we've ever seen on this podcast. Not only did he see a version of himself chained up in the corner, but also a giant cock monster in the attic. At first I thought it was Jason Love, but this one was a white. It's Bo's dad, literally an eight foot tall penis with giant balls, eyes, a mouth and arms like a grasshopper or some shit. During the calamity, Jeeves crashes, <laughs> Jeeves crashes through the window and throws a knife at Bo, hitting him in the Hitting him with the handle in the forehead. That also made me laugh. He charges the cock and starts stabbing the left testy before being stabbed through the top of the skull by the dong's arm. Bo shrieks in terror and crawls towards the door before falling down the ladder. Go ahead. You know, you know Giant's cock kinda... monster is something I've never been called. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I believe that, Mike. I just want to kind of like let I've been this... called sad and disappointing before, but not, not Giant Cock Monster. We're speaking all kinds of truths today. I just want to like let Dustin scene by scene kind of just sit for a minute. Like, yeah, you did hear that correctly. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So very start of this, Mona has definitely lost it at this point. I mean, you can really tell here that she at least shows that she believes that Bo is her property and that she hates him really. And look, like just my opinion, no offense to Patty Lapone who plays older Mona, but I'm not going to lie. I missed Zoe Lister Jones and her performance. And I think that you could have just given her older makeup. Just my opinion. Anyway. So my thought process here, as I was watching this the first time, hearing all of it come together for the most part from Mona, I was like, Oh shit. Okay. He had a twin brother. Okay. This is making at least some sense. Now, after I quickly think how the fuck did he survive this long in the attic? But you know what? This movie to this point has been so fucking bizarre. I'm willing to forgive that. I don't, you know, whatever. He survived in the attic. And Joaquin Phoenix has survived being killed 50,000 times like Nico mentioned. But at least we're making a little bit of sense, right? Right? But then. But then. We get a giant dick. A giant dick. It's somehow like acting like a human. Like Bo's father? I mean, Ari Aster, like, what What the fuck? What, what? What the fuck, man? 
now at this point with this movie, I'm just absolutely defeated. Like I've given up. You could even question like, is this whole thing symbolism anyway with the house and the attic representing his own mind? I read somewhere, or is this just some crazy shit where we're in a world where there's literally a giant dick in the attic now? It does make a lot of sense if you think about it, because Mona is a fucking gigantic cunt. So there we go. That always sense. Oh, but that's not enough. No, no, it's not enough. Jeeves is back and we get to see him shoot the giant dick and repeatedly stab this giant dick before being stabbed through a head starship trooper style by the dick hands. The, the, hand, the dick has hands now. So just someone else go, Mike. Just fuck. It. Buddy, your guess is as good as mine. This is where the notes really start to fall off because what the fuck is happening here, man? <laughs> like, like, obviously, Dustin spoiled this for me because I don't care about spoilers. So I had him send me what he was really wanting us to fucking see out of this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew this was coming, but I had no idea when. And so I'm like, well, we've already seen somebody. Come on. That's a reach. That's Michael Jordan's Faith Jam reach, pal. Fuck you. Anyway. Oh, damn it. We already saw someone die during sex. Like, just the whole weird thing is, uh, there's so much weird shit has already happened. And then, I mean, I just, what is, like, I don't really know what's going on. Mona's alive. Like, she fakes her death, which, by the way, maybe the reason Dustin really likes this movie is because this is some wrestling storyline shit. Like, sometimes you gotta fake your death and come back to screen, pal, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> So, like, this is written that way, and you find out how much of a bitch Mona is, how t- manipulative and controlling and all this has gone down. And so more things in the movie start to make sense. Like, Bo, Bo's personality starts to make sense here more. He's clearly dealing with grief and trauma and all this other stuff. And, look, we find out the addict stuff was not a twin. It wasn't a dream. It was a real thing that happened to him. And he sees this amalgamation of his old self up there in the in the attic, which I thought was pretty creepy and well done. Then you tr- well, once we were up in the attic, I was like, this is where the giant dick comes in, isn't it? Because I've only got the picture to go off of. I'm like, this has got to be where the fucking cock comes in. Ayo. <laughs> and th- what? Anyway, and then it does. And I'm sorry, it's so much fucking funnier on video than it is in the picture. It's a, it, it's something, man. It is incredibly hilarious. Um, especially when, like you guys mentioned, I think it's supposed to be his dad. Question mark. He kind of like talks to it the same way that Bo talked to his kids, quote unquote, in the woods. Like that's the same kind of vernacular and tone that was used, which was just out of this world insane. And I know there's some theories that go with this being kind of like a deep, dark thing. I don't really want to touch on those. But, I, you know, in his own mind, I'm pretty sure that's what the attic is supposed to uh, interpret. But anyway, just look, it's really hard to take it seriously when there's a giant dick monster on the screen. Like, I can't get wrapped up too deep in the weeds because there's a giant cock monster with a mouth on it. So anyway, uh, look, just a whole lot of craziness absurdity uh go ahead nico just 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 insane shit on our screen man (laughs) yeah if if y'all tuned in for like a really deep intellectual talk this this ain't the episode for y'all uh (laughs) this has been wild mona removing the bedlands right after bow and elaine just clap cheeks is disgusting as hell 
and then Lane's body frozen in the riding pose has me crying, laughing while being stunned at the same time. <laughs> More shitty mothering, not telling Bo the love of his life worked for her. And I'm going to disagree slightly, Brian. And not that I wouldn't see like seeing younger uh, Mona, but I thought Patty Lapone did fantastic delivering her lines. I thought she gave a great performance. It's disgusting seeing the therapist was in on it all along as well. You know, you're supposed to be able to confide in your therapist. I didn't like that at all, but it fit in the movie. And like everyone's mentioned, Dustin warned me of this, the scene, the scene in the attic. Seeing his father as a giant dick monster with praying mantis arms, I'm speechless. I know there's a metaphor of something deeper here, but what a shocking visualization. I really do think it's possibly like Bo's dad was, you know, like a maybe like a one night stand who or just a father who walked out who knows but what a vision what a scene to portray that it's just i don't know and jeeves didn't he die earlier in the force like i'm really what's going on i'm really watching an army vet with ptsd stab a giant nutsack repeatedly my jaws on the floor Dude, I completely forgot that Jeeves died. I even picked his death as my favorite fucking death, and I just completely forgot because I was so blown away, pun intended, by this dick in the in the attic. Hey, like, so you just reminded me that I even died last scene. God damn. See, what I'm thinking is, is maybe like you know, like remember when uh, Jeeves like stuns him or whatever, and he passes out. Maybe he's maybe all that shit that happened like after he ran into the tree that was all a dream. And like when he wakes up again, that was all a dream. Hmm. And I mean, yeah, because I mean, I when know. Jeeves runs into the attic, first of all, how did he get into the window of an attic? Like he busted yeah. through it. And then also, he wasn't covered in blood. Like he just shot himself 942 times in the collarbone. Like, <laughs> I don't know. All right, guys, this is the finale. You ready? Thank I know God. you're excited. Thank God. Thank God. Both- Bo's, uh, Bo's doctor drags his body into another room where Mona tells him that was his father. Bo pleads with her and apologizes. She says, oh, so now you need me, bitch? And says she gave him everything and his promises haven't meant shit. She rips him a new asshole and he takes it in silence. He can't dispute any of it, but then he snaps and grabs her by the throat and starts choking her out. He snaps out of it as in, in, and is in shock at what he did. She gasps and falls through a glass coffee table. Been there. Granted, I was hammered, though. Bo wanders, wanders off outside, and I got to question the doctor here. He just let Bo do that to Mona and then just walk off. Bo walks into the water, or walks to the water, and gets in a little John boat. He rides off in the moonlight, and some ominous music lets us know we're not done yet. He rides into a cave. Deep into the cave, he sees the sky again before his boat gets stuck and lights come on to reveal he's surrounded by a stadium seating. A large screen lowers from the ceiling and loudspeakers play, uh, says Bo's name and birth date. His mom's attorney, Dr. Cohen, says we're here to assess Bo's guilt. The big screen plays clips of Bo's life, and I gotta say, the way it's being presented, Bo looks guilty of being a very shitty, selfish person. Another voice objects on Bo's behalf, but he's hardly audible, unlike Dr. Cohen, whose voice is amplified greatly. Multiple instances of Bo ignoring his conscience and being a selfish dick who mistreated his mother are pointed out. And then Bo's defense attorney is hurled off his perch and splatters on some rocks below. Dr. Cohen points out how Roger offered to take Bo home that night, but Bo said the next morning was fine, and how Bo gave his mother's trinket to the knocked up gypsy woman. Bo was gripping the guardrail so tight, or Mona was gripping the guardrail so tightly that it fell off into the water, causing everyone to go silent. 
Bo's boat motor catches fire and he pleads for help. The boat violently capsizes and Bo goes underwater, never to be seen again. The film closes with a shot of the boat in the water and Mona crying out for her baby as the crowd exits the aisles. No score. It's very unsettling, but even more confusing. Go ahead. Unsettling. That's not the word I would use. <laughs> Look, thank God this movie is ending because truthfully at this point, I'm just exhausted. Like watching this movie in real time and doing this episode right here, I'm exhausted. So at the start of this, we get to see Bo finally get out from underneath everything that's been holding him down. And he's able to have that masculinity and that woodchopper from way back mentality and just choke the shit out of his mom. When he finally becomes a man in a sense, that should be the end of this movie. Like at two hours and 40 minutes right there, it's still way too damn long. But my freaking Lord, this goddamn court in his own head where, yep. where I mean, I see this yep. as an extension of the guilty feels, obviously, like it's so goddamn meaningless and boring. Look, I don't need to see him sink back into the guilt and the depression of his own head. Like he became a man and killed his mom, which was weird to say out loud, by the way. But fuck you. There was a giant dick in the last set of scenes. What do you want? Yeah, so that's got to kill your mom, you know? That's what <laughs> but it is. This movie is fucked up enough. Like, that's just my opinion. I hated this ending. One is to assume he died from his guilt. I don't know. I have no idea. Listen, when it stayed focused on the goddamn turned over boat for like an eternity, and then we get written and directed by Ari Aster. I verbally said, oh, fuck you, man. That's what I said. I said, God, fuck you, Ari Aster. <laughs> uh, I will say, I do, I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, you know, we get this moment where she's berating him again, not really taking responsibility for the fact that he turned out the way, you know, that he did. She wants him to be, you know, perfect in her eyes. And all this other stuff, not again, not owning the fact that Bo is the way he is because of her. And finally, this this man gets some backbone, some some spine, some hutzpah, some some fucking manliness, and chokes the shit out of her. As it's terrible as that sounds out loud, out of context, like I think everybody that's seen the film knows what I'm saying. And I'm not even sure that she died from the choke. I think she died from shock. You know, just like. Oh wow, he actually made a decision on his own. He actually stood up for himself. Like I think she was completely shocked, and then falls to a glass table. Which also, Dustin, I have been there as well. To the shock of no one, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually did once through a glass door as well, but that's a different story. So anyway, um, but no, I mean, I, I thought that was really well done and would have made a perfect ending, even if he snapped back into being, you know, kind of sniveling and. And, and, you know, nervous all the time. I felt like that still would have been a really good way to end it, even if you did the typical Ari Aster staring off into the distance. Yes. This whole court thing on a boat, like, you know, it, it felt like he was in the, you know, the Coliseum in ancient Rome or something. Like, just a really weird setting. I wasn't a fan of it. I know that was kind of the point of the film, and this is the way that we're supposed to end it, like, Bo is on trial. I just didn't like that call, like, Creatively, not for me, uh, doesn't really hold up. And I, I'm i with Brian. I was pissed at the fact that we focused on this boat thinking something else was going to happen. And then up pops directed by Ari Aster. I was fucking pissed, man. So uh, I didn't like the ending. Now, I liked what 
happened with Bo in that moment, but I didn't like anything else. All right. My first thoughts was there's no way in hell Jeremy, the therapist, has the strength that drags Bo's big ass with one arm. Patty delivers these lines masterfully, but what did Bo do wrong? Ari asked her, he has mommy issues. I can't be convinced otherwise after seeing Hereditary in this. I can't even be mad Bo killed his mother. She's been terrible since his birth. The court scene is interesting. I'm guessing it's symbolizing the court of public perception. Richard Kind does great delivering Mona's case, but I agree with Brian. This, this drags on way too long. But I thought this IMDb trivia, it stuck out to me. And, you know, Mike mentioned it earlier about water. But water runs as a theme throughout. He nearly drowns in his bathtub. He's urged to take his pills, always with water. His quest for water locks him out of his building that has the water shut off. He dreams of losing his family in a great flood. He has a recurring nightmare of a bath. His nightlights are fishes. There's a dead guy in the pool. And both Bo's birth and his death are in water. Finally, his last name is Wasserman, literally translates to Waterman. And his mother lives in a town called Wasserton. And I wanted to add that Roger's patient cracking his head open water skiing and Grace telling Bo to drink plenty of water and stay hydrated. So, yeah, my, like you mentioned earlier, water does play a big, big role in this movie. What? I don't know, but, yeah, big role. Uh, there's no way to describe this movie. I think I have an idea, but do I really? I'm still questioning myself. There's no film like this. Uh, that's all I got, Dustin. All right. We'll jump into our social media comments and questions. I'll do Instagram real quick. Mike, if you got Facebook pulled up, I don't think we got anything on the old Twitters. Uh, the only comment we have on Instagram is from DM Frank. And he said, <clears throat> I'd like to say from the bottom of me heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the fuck he wants. Conor McGregor <laughs> and me after picking this. You damn right. Thanks brother. Is Thanks, that brother. Dustin's burner account? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my actual account. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook. This is, okay. this is where we right. do the budget. One second. Sorry, so, the <laughs> I have the budget. What? It's twice in fucking five years, and it's still a joke. I hate this. I fucking hate this town. Anyway. <laughs> Brother, you forgot twice in one episode. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> Those are the only times, asshole. Fuck. I'm just joking. Don't I don't even know. Dude, I don't even remember. Fuck. Dude, Facebook. Who knows? Facebook. Okay. <clears throat> so we're going to go over to Facebook here. You know, the Facebook. Uh, only one comment on Facebook here that I'm seeing, and it's from one of our bigger fans, Michelle Merza. She says, I saw this in the theater in the theater earlier this year. All I can say is, Dustin must really want to make the rest of you suffer. I'm so sorry. I do, actually. It's like my purpose well, in life. I don't feel any sympathy for the last few weeks. I can tell you that. All right, guys. Brian, Dustin, if y'all have any fun facts, I've, only, I've already said the couple I had in the review. Ari Aster said that uh, with this movie, he wanted to put the audience in the experience of being a loser. My words, what? Like, I guess that's not the quite the the character I think of when I think of loser in my head. It's just, it's not Bo, but whatever. With a runtime of two hours and 59 minutes, Bo is Afraid is A24's lengthiest production, with the theatrical cut being eight minutes longer than the director's cut of Ari Aster's previous movie, Midsummer. Get the fuck over yourself, Ari Aster. You know what? As they say in Gone in 60 Seconds, self-indulgent wiener. That's how I think about it. Um, uh, I don't think that this is a spoiler because we haven't gotten to the to the actual number, but The Wrap reported that A24 lost $35 million from this movie. Good. Go ahead. 
Man said right. good. <laughs> well, it made some of it back when you uh, purchased it. I'm glad you did that. You support. God that. damn it. You're right. <laughs> if you got hate in your heart, let it out. All right. I got just a few here. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix was in signs with Mel Gibson, who was in daddy's home too, with John Cena, who was an extra in the severely underrated movie, ready to rumble starring David Arquette. So outside the obvious connection with Parker Posey being in screen three, there you go. Haven't done that in a while. Um, on April 1st, 2023, Ari Aster and A24 pulled what was characterized as an April Fool's Day prank on a movie audience in New York's Alamo Drafthouse. Uh, the guests thought they had purchased tickets for a special showing of the director's cut of Aster's 2019 film, Midsommar. Aster instead screened an unannounced preview of Bo is Afraid about a, ma- about a month before its actual opening date. Now, I know Brian would have never bought tickets to go see midsummer director's cut but i just I, I wish that he had been in this audience and he was just like they sprung this on him didn't tell him what it was didn't tell him what it was about and he just watched well, I'd it be pissed. I could, i'd be pissed i would be would be so mad uh last one i've got is in an advanced behind the scenes featurette uploaded by a24 ari aster described bo is afraid uh the plot as being a quote jewish lord of the rings but he's just going to his mom's house i thought that was funny <laughs> That's very surprising. I saw a lot of uh, people online talking about the, the theme of this movie is just a Jewish mom's guilt trip. And so that's the overlying theme. And I can't speak to the Jewish nature of it. But, yeah, I, I definitely get the the guilt trip aspect and how everything is amplified because of that. Sure. That's what Nathan Lane said about it in an interview yeah. on uh, Jimmy Fallon, I think. Yeah, I saw that. Mm hmm. Uh, now you mentioned it losing $35 million, which I couldn't find anywhere. I'm sure that you're right, but the budget itself, according to what I found, and I have multiple sources now, cause I thought I was wrong before we did the show was $35 million and made $9.4 million in earnings. So it, I guess maybe if you include like marketing and all this other stuff, it probably lost around $35 million cause it's pretty close right there as far as the number goes. So uh, yeah, didn't make a whole lot of money, man. And that's a shame because I never want a movie to fail, but you're asking for a three hour, you know, drug acid trip. Uh, and to be fair to Ari Aster and a 24, it wasn't playing in a lot of cities. It was playing in pretty select places, according to IMDb. So I think that probably had a little bit of, of uh, an effect on things. Well, I went. I uh, since I had Regal Unlimited, I would just go and pre-select my tickets online earlier sure. in the day while I was at work, and then go to the movies after work. I had to do this one like three times. Like I tried to go see it two other times and didn't make it, or decided not to, and then the third time. So I hope he got money for each time. I didn't have to pay for it each time because it was in my monthly subscription cost. But I oh. hope he got three times the money for me seeing it once. He deserved. I was about to say that's very. I was about to say that's very rich of you to pay for a movie. Yeah, hell no. It's like thirty dollars to go see a movie now. Anyway, all right, guys, into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. I'll just go first. Favorite kill. I chose Jeeves. I mean, how could I not pick someone getting killed by a giant dick praying mantis arm? Uh, We'll never see that kind of kill again. Least favorite kill. There's a lot you could pick, but I chose the guy leaping to his death. We see that's just off screen in the middle of the road. I'm counting that one. Uh, all right, rating. I like Ari Aster as a filmmaker. He's out there. He's different. 
Uh, I like him and Robert Eggers, and I know that makes Brian sick to his gut because he's going to be watching The Lighthouse in a couple months, and he's going to love it. Uh, anywho, I, I hope they I keep making unique maybe. movies. I mean, I'm with you, Brian. Like, If they wanted to make a new Halloween movie or Friday the 13th, I'm going to go see it every year just because I like those movies. But I do want some originality. I like seeing you know some stuff that makes me think, uh, makes me feel you know something. Because like I mentioned in The Human Centipede, a horror movie is supposed to make you feel something. It's supposed to put you in a different kind of mood. Uh, and I like that. Uh, I, I gave the movie a seven. Whoa. I, I can't, I can't go to any higher than that just because it's three hours long. There's way too much to process and it's just not an easy watch. And, uh, like Brian mentioned, the animation scene just drags on the court scene drags on. So yeah, I give it a seven just cause I think it's really well shot. It's really well acted. And it does make me feel some type of way. And I like Ari Aster. All right. I'll go ahead and go next. Uh, it's weird. Oh, sorry. The kills. The kills. I don't know, man. I don't know which kills to pick. I picked Jeeves as well because Death by Dick is hilarious, uh, which could be the same thing could be said for Elaine. Death by Dick is hilarious. I don't know. One of those. <laughs> uh, least, least favorite kill. I went with a tattooed guy because he scared both shitless, but apparently he went, went out like a hoe. Like he's just laid out while he's trying to dial nine one one. That that's not very scary of him. All right, my general thoughts and the rating. It's weird. That's an understatement. All the bizarre things that happened to him and the over exaggerated imagery. I take it as his anxiety causing hallucinations or you know him amplifying things beyond what they actually are. Um, I definitely get the metaphors used for this guilt trip from his mom and of his dad just being a big dick who's basically a sperm donor and nothing else not involved in the kid's life, but I don't know why it was literally a big dick. Uh, the movie is well shot and well acted, but it's just so damn confusing and went way too long. And the ending, what was that about? Was that another metaphor slash hallucination or did he really die in a capsized boat? I honestly don't know. All I'm for sure about this movie is that I'll never hear always be my baby the same again. Like we've said, the next time I see it, if that day ever comes, I definitely want to watch this movie while I'm tripping acid because I think it might actually make it make more sense. I don't know. I gave the movie a five middle of the road because it's good, but is it good? I don't know. Middle of the road, Mike. Hey, speaking <laughs> of, all right. My favorite kill was also Jeeves. My least favorite kill. I don't really know. I guess I'll go with the tattooed guy. Cause I really didn't think any of them were like good or bad or whatever. But like you mentioned, there are, Technically, two death by Dixon in this movie, which is hilarious. Uh, anyway, look, I said it at the top. What a weird fucking film. We've never covered anything like it, not even close. Um, this is my least favorite of the Ari Aster movies that we've covered for sure. But I still think it's objectively good. It's just very confusing, very long. There's a little too much subtext, a little too many hidden things like I feel like this movie is a try-hard, in my opinion. I feel like it's weird for weird's sake instead of being weird to make sense. Like, I feel like, sure, somewhere along the way, maybe there was a draft of this movie that was a little more tame, and he felt like he had to up the ante because Midsommar wasn't weird enough, which is not true. It's a very strange film. Hereditary's a strange film in certain parts, and I feel like he had to maybe top himself or something, and I just don't like that methodology. Just go in and write a really good film. Uh, So this one's up for interpretation, and I know there's a lot of 
themes of guilt and, and depression and trauma and fear and all that stuff. And I do think it, it does a decent job of touching on that stuff. But we just go way too far into the weeds, way too much stuff. Um, <laughs> so, again, well acted, well shot, well made, all the usual stuff for May 24. But I do think this movie takes that ante a little too far and just confuses the piss out of people just just because they can. So all that being said, I had the exact same score as Dustin. I gave it a five. <laughs> Let me show you my shocked face. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, so my Sorry. favorite kill was Jeeves, but it was more of the machine gun kill. I completely, like I sold Nico earlier, completely forgot he got stabbed in the head by a giant dick. Honorable mention though, Julian Richings with the grenade. Loved it. It was unexpected. Least favorite kill, the maid. We just saw her without her head. And that was it. <laughs> Um, it's a good choice. Add this to the list of movies that I quote just don't get. Also, add this one to the list of Ari Aster movies that I'm never going to watch again. That count is at three, by the way. If, uh, but anyway, maybe I'm just a simpleton that likes closure in my movies, likes them to make sense, and doesn't want to go out and have to do fucking hours of research just for an opinion on what it's about, and still never get closure. I have no idea why this cast made this movie. I have no idea why people pretend to know what it's about. Like I said, I I personally believe it's about seeing the world from the point of view of a schizophrenic, but I don't know if that's right at all. And I'd like to normalize that because I think it's hilarious people talk online with such conviction about what they've convinced themselves this is correct. And you're wrong. Whatever. I'm I'm convinced the term elevated horror is a crock of shit, and it's for people like that. I don't believe that there is a real way to see this. You know, I believe that there's just an absurd amount of shit just made for you to question. Uh, I hate this movie. I hate that I wasted six hours of my life watching this movie, uh, but I can't grade it lower than terrifier Two because it did Ain't keep no me exponentially locked in and at least curious. <laughs> the first time I watched it, I kept going back to no way. Phoenix does a movie that doesn't have a point. And that's pretty much a lot like me saying no way the committee would ever leave a 13 and 0 Florida state out. I was left pissed off and wrong at both. I'm going to give it a two for the acting, uh, the way it was shot, and the soundtrack from Bobby Kerlick. I could easily give this a zero for enjoyment, but it was better than rubber. <laughs> and like I said, it did have me in its grasp, for lack of a better term, the first time I watched it. I do think Ari Aster just robbed A24, and they're stupid enough to have let him. So there you go. Congrats <laughs> on the longest episode we've done in about two years. Way to go, everyone. Yeah, it really is. Uh, that gives was longer us a composite. than most Halloween reviews. <laughs> that was a long one. Pause. Uh, gives hey. it a composite score of four point seven five. IMDb has it more in line with Nico six point eight with forty eight thousand votes. What the hey. fuck, Buffalo Bill? Hey, we know what's up. Jesus, it's fine. We got anti anti Terra over here, Mister uh, Mister Brian Hathaway. That man hates some elevated horror. Jesus. <laughs> Man let the chopper sing on it, didn't he? He's like, fuck you. <laughs> I will say on a serious note, though, that Ari Aster in an interview said that this movie, like, he relates to Bo a lot. And I, I meant to say at the beginning, like, I don't have anxiety or anything like that, so I probably can't relate to the character that well. But I did enjoy, like, like the movies. it's weird, but it's really well made and acted, so I can appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Let me shout out our blood donors. And then I'll announce our pick for next week, which is going to be a blood donor review. Shout out to Rochelle. Appreciate you. 
Uh, blood donors, Michael Evans is a new final guy donor. Rochelle McLaughlin, she is a legendary donor. Really appreciate you. Uh, we're going to be doing your review next week. Frazier Rice, new Dream Warrior uh, donor. Camper Level Reoccurring, Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Merza, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Kelsey Miller, my boy CJ, Christopher James, Michael Evans, Camp Council Reoccurring, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Kylie Denise, all the way from Australia, Adrian Aiello, Karen, Brian Samick, Andrew Ferguson, Matt Strickland, and Brooke Maley. Like I've said many, many times, the economy stinks right now. Uh, so we really appreciate any kind of financial donations you make. It really takes a big burden off of us to, like, it ain't, it ain't free to make a, a good sounding podcast. Like you gotta, yeah, you gotta pay for some decent equipment where you host the, the files at, make the YouTube videos, et cetera. It's not free. We really appreciate your financial donations. Uh, Rochelle, her pick is the sadness. I have not seen this movie. But it's one I've been wanting to see, and I'm excited to watch it. Uh, y'all got any final thoughts on Bo's Afraid before we get out of here? Dustin, did, you, did your sequel. month accomplish what you wanted? So much more. Actually, I'm mad. Fuck this month. Never let me pick another theme because I had to watch Human Centipede. <laughs> You're welcome. And Terrifier 2. And Terrifier, I'd watch Terrifier 2 on loop before I ever watch Human Centipede again. <laughs> what a month. You're welcome. Congratulations. You played yourself. Thank you to all the fans and listeners. We really appreciate y'all. Y'all have a good one. Twist the giant dick. Just want to remind everybody. Oh.